Welcome to Weird Kid Video. I'm Cameron Snape and I miss video source so much I opened one in my own home, packed with the VHS tapes of the trash cinema I grew up watching at a highly inappropriate age. Every week I force my co-host Kira Jade Oppitz and Brody McDonald to sit through a movie for us to discuss. So come on in, have a look around and sign up for a membership. This is Weird Kid Video. Old business? Uh, no old I don't business. have any old business. No, I, I do nothing. not either. No. I was going to check something, but it was unimportant. I did check something and I was correct, so I don't old business. It. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough. From the last part. I said something. I don't even remember what it was, but I looked it up and went, oh yeah, I was right. <laughs> oh yeah, I am always correct. <laughs> yeah. Well, not always. It helps that I edit the pod. Yeah. <laughs> New business. New, New business. business. New business. This week, we travel to another time and another place. That sure looks a hell of a lot like the Universal Studios backlot to me. We are talking about <laughs> Streets of Fire from 1984. <laughs> I'll be coming for her, and I'll be coming for you too. Sure you will, and I'll be waiting. You are about to enter a world unlike any you've ever seen before, where rock and roll is king. The only law is a loaded gun. Where the beautiful... Stay and see the show, it's really good. The brutal... I want Tom Cody. And the brave all meet. From now on, it's for real. In Streets of Fire. Universal Pictures presents Michael Paré, Diane Lane, Rick Moranis, and Amy Madigan in a Walter Hill film, Streets of Fire. Directed and co-written by Walter Hill. Walter Hill of Warriors fame. Oh, yeah, this is just going to be the whole podcast. But I mean, like, there's some it's the heavy one thing lifts. you know. This, uh, yeah, it is a little bit, but it, there's some heavy lifts oh, in yeah. this film. Entire yeah. sections of this yeah. movie are just remakes of the <laughs> <Yeah>. Warriors. <laughs> we'll talk about it when we get to it. But it's a rock and roll fable. It is, in fact, a rock and roll fable. It's not a Western. It is also a Western. It's <laughs> so clearly a Western. It is like... 
a Western. Yeah. It is like the definition let's, of a Western. Let's save. Yeah. Because we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> okay. okay. So I've already talked a little bit about Walter Hill before on the podcast when we saw the trailer for 48 Hours. I can't remember what movie that was in front of. Uh, yeah. But I have a love-hate relationship with him okay. for a very particular reason, which you probably don't remember. But no, I will talk about throughout the, throughout the podcast. But yeah. to give you some backstory on Walter Hill. So as a kid, he wanted to be a comic book illustrator. Cool. Super into comics. Obviously, he's a little bit older. So his comics are like, you know, 1950s, 1960s comics. He started as a researcher in documentary work in the 1960s before ending up working in the mailroom at Universal Studios. He figured it was the best place to be because you get to know who everybody is. Ah, that's smart. Right? From there, he got himself into a Director's Guild apprenticeship that led him to working to, as an assistant director while he was also working on screenplays in his own in his own time. That's so funny. I never realized there was like a practical path that you could take to become like a director. In the old days, you used to be able to start in the mailroom and work your way up. His work was heavily influenced by the things that he loved, the screenplays he was writing, westerns, comics. Yeah, of course. And musicals. Ah, right. right? He was also that into tracks. musicals. Yeah. He sold some. He sold some screenplays. Most notably, he wrote *The Getaway*, starring Steve McQueen and Ally McGraw, directed by Sam Peckinpah. And then he hooked up with a producer, Gordon Lawrence, who let him direct a film he wrote called *Hard Times*. He went on to make *The Driver*, the movie *Drive* needs to cut a check to *The Warriors*, *The Long Riders*, *Southern Comfort* with Powers Booth from *Rapid Fire*. Yeah. Uh, that was all through the 1970s. Those movies. And then he started a production company that started to develop material with Lawrence Gordon. He also had a writing producing partner named David Guiler. They infamously, Walter Hill and David Guiler, rewrote Dan O'Banion's script for a movie called Alien. Oh, <laughs> wow. And have been arguing about who deserves the credit since. They went on- uh, Yeah, I feel like I vaguely have seen that. They went on to produce all the rest of the Alien movies and they right. and, uh, David Guiler wrote Alien 3 and they're still credited as producer on, on new Alien stuff, but they haven't been involved since everything went Alien versus Predator. Uh, and then his big hit of the 1980s was 48 Hours with Eddie Murphy. Yeah. And then another 48 Hours. While they were making 48 Hours, Paramount was pretty thrilled. Larry Gross or Gross- who was one of the writers of 48 Hours, suggested that they very quickly make another deal with Paramount to make another movie <laughs> while Paramount was very happy with them. Smart. Right? Hill pitched Streets of Fire. He wanted to make a comic book movie, not based on a comic book, and use all of the stuff that he loved as a teenager to quote him, custom cars, motorcycles, jokes in tough situations, leather jackets, and questions of honor. Yeah, man. He also pitched that it be an ongoing series of adventures. Interesting. Ah. Yes. Paramount rejected it. They thought it was a little too close conceptually to Indiana Jones. Not uh -huh. not from a character point of view, conceptually. Style. Like a throwback hero that right. has a series of adventures series of adventures. Okay. Once they saw it, they would have seen that it's yeah. nothing like Indiana yeah. Jones. But also they didn't want to yeah. upset their relationship with George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Sure. Yeah, okay. Right. They sent it to Universal Studios on a Friday afternoon and it got greenlit that weekend. Dope. Nice. Walter Hill's still working. He, he continued to make movies all the way through, but but we may come across him again. So I might talk yeah, about sure. him more within the context of where he was in his career when we come across him again. There's Just to be clear, there's not a series of these movies, right? This is the only movie? This is the only one. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I thought so, but I just yeah. thought we should check. <laughs> sure. Where Where is this in line 
in um, opposition to the Warriors. So Warriors is late seventies. Warriors is I think seventy seven or seventy eight. This and is nineteen eighty four. Eighty four. Yeah, I thought yeah, it was. So it's later. Yeah. So it's later. Yeah. Okay. He also directed a bunch of Deadwood. Who moved into television? And when you think about like the tone of Deadwood, yeah, it's got massive Walter Hill vibes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Written by Walter Hill and Larry Gross. Gross, as I mentioned, was one of the later writers that came on on Forty Eight Hours. He didn't. He wasn't the original writer of Forty Eight Hours. It had quite a few writers, and he would continue to work with Hill through the 90s. The only other thing of his that is interesting that I was like shocked to see on his IMDb was that he wrote a movie from, I think it's the late 90s, early 2000s. I think it might be like, must be the early 2000s called Crime and Punishment in Suburbia. And it's got Monica Keener from Dawson's, Dawson's Creek in it. Oh. Yeah. Which one's Monica? She was Abby. Oh, Abby. Yeah, mm. Kira, like, had to, like, Kira was like, Kira's eyes <laughs> were on the, the back mental of her head and she was like literally <laughs> mentally rollerdexing. Yeah. So, Abby. Yeah, so she was in, she was in a, a movie called Crime and Punishment in Suburbia that I, I remember being, seen that, actually. I remember being good, but it could be terrible. So, there was a period of time, and the there was a period of time when me and my sister would go to the video store where we would often, Aaron's pick would often be a movie with a member of the Dawson's Creek cast in yeah, it. Yeah, like sure. That's, that's, so, so. You guys saw disturbing behaviour then? Yes, we did. <laughs> the Katie Holmes. I went to yeah. the. I saw that movie at the movies. And the and the um the president's daughter or whatever it is with Katie oh, Holmes. No, Dick with Michelle Weems. No, oh, no, no yes. No, she's no. also, there's also a movie called <laughs> President's Daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, that one. And yeah, and I think we might have seen that one as well because okay. Abby's in it. Dick is the one where the girl falls in love with Richard Nixon, yeah? I think so, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty funny from memory. Uh, this movie was also produced, Streets of Fire, that is, by Joel Silver, who we have talked about before. Mm -hmm. He was the cliche cocaine-driven action producer of the 1980s. My man. Maybe only bested by Don <laughs> Simpson, who actually died of a cocaine overdose. Uh, we will talk about Resting Don Simpson. Resting power. <laughs> we will talk about Don Simpson <laughs> at some point. Starring Michael Pere as Tom Cody. Who is this guy? Because he's like Sam and Dean Winchester in one person. He's a fucking fox. None of the words that you said to me make any sense. Wow. The guys from Supernatural. Oh, Jared okay, Padalecki yeah. and whatever the other guys. Jensen Eccles. Jensen Eccles. Yeah, he has like the face of I Jensen, but like the softest of like the Sam guy, whoever he is. Jared Padalecki. From Gilmore Girls. Um. Ah. I had not put that together, but yeah, he actually does right? kind of look like it. <laughs> That's interesting. He is a gorgeous man and he wears suspenders and oh my God. <laughs> it is as I expected. <laughs> we saw him in trailers for the women's club. I remember that one. Oh. And a concrete wall. Oh, I don't remember that one. I don't that remember one. that one. <laughs> He's one of those dudes yeah. that had a look. James Dean. Yeah. So Hollywood decided they would try and make him a thing, despite the fact that he can't really act. He does okay. He's terrible in this movie. He's, <laughs> he's very flat, but he's a tough guy, right? That's kind of how they played it. He's a tough guy? Is he not? Is there anyone who's not a tough guy in this movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good point. When I was a kid, so he, he's still working, but he spent most of his time after Hollywood was kind of done with him working in straight to video trash, yeah. right? And he's yeah. still still floating around. Uh, when I was a kid, there was a movie that I loved him in called Eddie and the Cruisers. It's like an epic tale of a rock and roll star who who dies. And then there's a sequel called Eddie Lives. Right. So they basically like redid this movie a little bit? No, it's different. Okay. It's different. He's in a, uh, a very late John Carpenter movie called Village of the Damned. Ah, I haven't seen that. He's the adult Trip Fontaine in The Virgin Suicides. Ah. Oh, 
I don't even remember who like his face then. He's in a like a facility, he's in like a like a jail or a um or oh, like a um, mental hospital. And they there's a ah. scene where he talks about the effect that the girls had had on him. I walked home alone that night. I didn't care how she got home, it was weird. I mean I liked her. I liked her a lot. But out there on the field. It was just different then. That was the last time I saw her. You know, most people will never taste that kind of love. But at least I tasted it once, right? time for your six o'clock group meeting. Yeah, okay. Right. Flash, vaguely, forward, flash forward in that movie. How old would he be in that? Uh, he would have been like, so Virgin Source is 99, so it's like 15, 16 years later, longer. Late 30s? Right. So, yeah, 30 would have been in his, 30, his 30s, yeah. He was not the first choice for this movie. Who was? Tom Cruise. Somehow I knew nah. you were going to say that. Who turned it down. Also, Patrick Swayze was a Oh, that would have been Patrick Swayze makes sense. That would have been a totally different tone, I feel. Yeah, but Swayze was a little bit older by this point. You remember, have to remember that this is around the, this is like two years after. Um, I forget how old that guy is. Outsiders. And I think it's pretty I don't think that Tom Cruise would have been a good Tom nah, Cruise in 1982. So Imagine him like, in that end fight. It wouldn't not, have looked he realistic. He wasn't like tough guy. No, then. not at all. But he, he was, was coming up. You have to remember that. It might have changed the trajectory for him a little bit because you would well, have seen him be tough earlier. Yeah. Well, this it's before Top Gun. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, mm. yeah. so you anyway. might have gotten to that yeah. earlier. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Later when the movie didn't do so well, the producers said that they knew that they had cast poorly a few days into, into shooting. Oh, that sucks, man. And that, that they just well. had to hope that the rest of the movie would pull together around Michael Perry. I don't think he... If you know that early into production, don't you recast? They would later publicly blame his performance as one of the reasons that the movie doesn't work. I don't think he was that bad. I don't think he was bad enough to blame the whole... I think he's fucking terrible. Yeah, look, he's I think not he, great. I think he... I don't think he pulls down the movie, though. I'm not going to get into it to how I feel about the movie right now. Yeah. But I feel like there are some there are things in this movie that that drag it down and I feel like his performance is one of them. Okay. If they knew that early into production, why didn't they just recast? Because the train's already rolling and the every filmmaker in the world is scared shitless that if they have to stop their film from rolling for one second, again. it won't continue to roll. Um. But like, I thought he was playing a 1950s guy. And I don't, think he's, I don't think he's got the, the chops for it. Yeah. Look, I, I get you. Uh, Swayze not, would have brought a magnetism to it. He's not helped by the script. Yeah, okay. Diane Lane is Ellen Aim. Um, oh my god. I don't god. think I've seen her anywhere, have I? You've seen her in so much stuff. She's a working actress that's been working for, for 40 years. Her she face definitely look- looks familiar, but I can't place her okay. in anything. Huh. She was born to a Playboy centerfold and a drama coach oh, and wow. started acting at age six. What's well, you name? would, wouldn't you? Diane Lane. Oh, Oh my God, that's a very famous name. Yeah. I know that name. Yeah, yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at, you're an idiot. <laughs> I love you. You're such a fucking idiot. <laughs> at 15, she left home. She claimed independence from her parents and moved to LA. That's probably a smart uh, move. One of her first movies was called Ladies and Gentlemen, The Fabulous Stains. It's about a punk rock band. It's also got baby Laura wow. Dern in it. Okay. Diane Lane is like a... Famous singer as well, isn't she? No. No? I think you're thinking of someone else. Stop reaching. No, I I just know the name. You know what I mean? Like, and there's obviously a lot to do with music with her. So I thought maybe. 
her well she doesn't sing in this movie her breakout uh, role and where i fell in love with her was as cherry valance in the outsiders and patty in rumblefish I would have that's seen where the, i know her from yeah because we watched the outsiders those. not that long ago yeah and i've yeah. seen rumblefish as well so yeah that makes sense that's why i know her face but don't know where especially I know, her know her at this age yeah yeah. 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 Streets of Fire was right after those. They cast her in this movie because they figured if Francis Ford Coppola has cast her in two movies, then she must be pretty good. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. That's a safe bet. It's a safe bet, right? She turned down roles in two big movies to be in this movie. Huh. Oh, you'd be upset about that if yeah. then it doesn't go yeah. well. She turned down Splash with Tom Hanks. Nah, never. Which is a it. mermaid movie with oh, Daryl yeah. Hannah. She was going to be the mermaid. <laughs> Now, I think Daryl Hannah is better in that role. And she turned down Risky Business with Tom Cruise. Oh. Now, both big films. I love Streets of Fire, but I would kill to live in a universe where Diane Lane plays Lana in Risky Business because- Can you imagine how- uh, That must suck for actors when they turn down or don't get like yeah, roles and things fuck. like that, where it's yeah. like, oh, I picked this and it didn't go well yeah. and I could have been in that and look It's a it. gamble for them. Hey, yeah. no, you have no idea. And, you would, and you don't know. You look at the Never. scripts and you probably think that they're about- They match up or whatever. And yeah. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen Risky Business. It's on the list. Oh, okay. It's one of my- It's a movie that- I live with for a long time. Like it's a movie that I had seen like a lot when I was a teenager. Yeah. But I have come to really appreciate as I became an adult. Oh, okay. It might be a secret masterpiece. That's the shirt, socks, slide. That's the right. thing that's famous about it. That is the least interesting thing that happens in that happens in right, that movie. Okay. Yeah. It it's is just the iconic Tom thing. Sexy when he's young. It is the iconic thing from yeah. that movie, but it's like really not that interesting in the in the totality of that movie. Risky business is on the list. Made Ray so, Ban's pretty famous. So, it did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she had some like ups and downs in her career, but kept working. She's in a movie called Unfaithful with Richard Gere. That's pretty great from the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So did she still get cast in good stuff after this? If this didn't go well? She had ups and downs. She's right. yeah. But she didn't get like blacklisted. No, or she, she's, con- she's been consistently working yeah. Yeah. the entire time. She's like a name. Yeah. yeah. She was married to Christopher Lambert from Highlander. Ah. And also Josh Brolin at different oh. times. <laughs> So what I would do to be married to that man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then very recently she was Martha Kent in the Snyderverse. Oh fuck. She's Henry Cavill's mother in she's Superman's mother in Hectic. while human mother in the she, Snyderverse. She aged like in a the, fine wine. In, in the Martha, 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 Martha. Yeah, in the yeah. Martha, Martha, Martha. <laughs> she is in fact Martha, the Martha, Martha. She is in Martha. fact the Martha of Martha, Martha, Martha. Wow. Okay. Blows she, my mind a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I have had a crush on her since Rumblefish, mm. basically. Willem Dafoe. Oh, my God. As Raven Shaddock. Can I just say, like, Willem Dafoe, fucking God of a man, right? Like, he, if he's going to be a villain, he is fucking the villain. Oh, yeah. Of all villains. But, like, just his, he, like, elevated this movie. But him in those fucking fishing overalls, those black leather <laughs> fishing it overalls. It was a very strange <laughs> choice. Oh, I know. Boy. I knew. I knew. I knew. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That was a strong look. It's Willem Dafoe. He'd been in Heaven's Gate as an basically as an extra, The Hunger and The Loveless, directed by Catherine Bigelow, who would go on to direct yeah. uh, Point Break. She suggested him for this movie, by the way. He's so young in this movie. This is, yes, because this is like his, his like third or fourth movie. Wow. So right after this, he did To Live and Die in LA and Platoon, which are oh. what made him William Dafoe, right? Yeah. Last Temptation of Christ, Wild at Heart, Basquiat, Speed 2, Cruise Control, 
Existence, American Psycho. I'm not going to say that out loud. (laughs) That's why you said it. Shadow of the Vampire, the Spider-Man movies, Autofocus, pretty much every Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. (laughs) I love him as the rat in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, the greatest. Y'all are trespassing now. Illegally. Around these parts, we don't take kindly to cider poachers. The Aviator, Daybreakers, Aussie movie. Daybreakers. The Fault yeah. in Our Stars. Oh, yeah, he is too. Yes. What's The Fault in Our Stars? It's based on the John Green young adult oh, novel. It's about the kids with, can- kids with cancer. Oh, okay. John Wick. Oh, yes. The American live action Death Note movie. Oh, yeah. Which I like. I actually don't hate that main actor. Too. I have no connection to the source material. Oh, I right? do. I have a very So strong I was connection. like, this is great. I don't know what people complained about because I, like, I don't know if they wrecked it or not. I have, like, that was one of the first animes that I ever watched that showed me, like, how good anime can be. And right. it's a terrible movie compared to the anime, but. Yeah. Still fun to watch. More recently, he's been working a lot with Robert Eggers, the director of The Lighthouse and The North, and the Northman. The Lighthouse. I haven't seen it. Fuck. I don't like it. Oh, I don't okay. like Robert Eggers' movies. But Not a big miss. Uh, I like Willem Dafoe in it because I like Willem Dafoe in anything. It has occurred to me when I was writing this list that like, fuck, I think Willem Dafoe might be legitimately one of my favorite actors. He's got to be up there. <laughs> Every one time of the he best. shows up, he's so good. He's so yeah. good in oh, everything. I don't know. It's, Every He's so good in everything. And say what yeah. you... Your child is trying to kill me. <laughs> Pause for kicking. Pause for station identification. <laughs> um, say what you want about the old Spider-Mans. And like, I know they've like recently fell back into like love, like with the old star, with the newer Star Wars, because they're like memed a bunch. Mm-hmm. But like him in that, in those Spider-Mans, fucking what a performance. Yeah, I mean, he's he's solid. Always. I don't like those movies. But, but it's not it's just me. I, I don't it's really just like him either. It's just not my thing. I don't really like him either, but he's maniacal, like, evil. Oh, yeah, he's that the he brings. And, like, I know you don't like Boondock Saints, but, like, him in those movies, when he, like, dresses up in drag, he's, like, fucking crazy and so funny. He's yeah. just so good. Well, you know the meme, get a man that can do both? Yeah. That is Willem Dafoe. <laughs> yeah, he that's can do so anything. true. And according to legend, he is a dick so massive that during the filming of the movie Antichrist, that. they had to use a stunt cock because his real dick was just so distractingly large. Oh, <laughs> talk so about a man blessed. <laughs> <laughs> stunt cock. Stunt cock. Stunt cock. Stunt cock. Stunt cock. Good for that, dude. Fucking oath. Yeah. Other cast I will talk about as they appear. There's some really wacky casting in this movie. There's one I want to mention up, up front. The sister. Oh, we'll talk about her when we get, when okay. we get to her. Yes, okay, because cool. he, I know. Who, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Trailers. Two trailers. Two we trailers. Watch, we're back to watching this on VHS. Neither of these was very interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it f- was a, I felt like a weird choice of... Like they felt very it's very random, kind of compared and to the older. Movie. Rick Springfield as James Roberts in his sizzling motion picture debut in Hard to Hold. <laughs> yeah, Rick Springfield is Jamie Roberts, a rock star on a roll, idolized by millions. He thought he had it all until he met her. Uh, I feel terrible about this. I'd be glad to buy another car. They're not insured. No, well, I'm, uh, I'm James Roberts. You know, James Roberts? Will you stop harassing me? What? I know who you are. You're a rock person of some sort. Like no, I don't like the music. What kind of music do you like? Tony Bennett. Uh, he was more exciting than she was willing to admit. I couldn't get Tony. Isn't he great? Can't afford a crazy relationship. <laughs> Getting involved with a musician is not crazy. <laughs> 
she became more desirable than he ever imagined. Oh. Now. It's Rick Springfield in his sizzling motion picture debut. Hard to hold. Famous Rockstar Problems, the movie. It just made me, <laughs> it just made me think of his run in Californication. Oh, yeah? You want to throw down, bad boy, huh? You think you can take this? Guess what? I shit a pint of blood this morning. Why? Charlie? I'm getting fucked oh by Rick Springfield. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hectic. I didn't just even make that connection. Of, just made me think of it. I think that you think that anytime you hear the name Rick Springfield. Oh, but also I because don't I don't really <laughs> like Rick Springfield, but I am very amused by how much of a dick he is in California. Yeah, true. He, um, this looks like a terrible movie. Yeah, he's just playing himself. Yeah. It's a romantic comedy where he plays himself. Yeah. <laughs> the songs that he sings. They're his songs. Okay. Yeah. He's just. He's just playing Rick Springfield songs. But uh, with a different name. Yeah. yeah. I feel like you need to not do that if you're yeah. going to try to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then, uh, and then John Wayne and Catherine Hepburn in the sequel to True Grit, Rooster Cogburn, open brackets, and the lady, close bracket. Wayne and Catherine Hepburn, they were never meant for each other, but here they are. I will make sure of what my father's murderous ring. You will make sure of nothing. He's True Grit's boozing, woman baiting Rooster Cogburn. She's the lady, all blue blood and steel. I do not fear a skunk. I simply do not care for his odor. Hallelujah! And guess who's going to rule the roost? Marshal Cogburn, you're in a sorry state. No man alive likes to be called high-smelling and low-down. Meet your maker! Eyeball to eyeball or shoulder to shoulder. They're the toughest pair in the West. You got the gun, but you ain't got the know-how to use it. That's the way it works, Hawk. Rolling the raft off you. That ain't loaning, that's stealing. And you can't have it. And we're going to have trouble with you. Now, the teeny weeny bit of trouble, as long as you got that. Being around you pleases me. You will be careful, won't you, Ruby? I care about you very much. 
my god. Yeah, that's weird with the brackets. It was so and bad. And also the just general. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah. I do have one question though. In the little like credity thingy, sure. the little screen with the credit credit box. Oh, credit box, that's what they're called. <laughs> um, it says suggested by the character Rooster Cogburn. Yes. Which implies that a character knocked on someone's door and go, I suggest that you, which no, is obviously not me. actually what <laughs> that's happened. That's actually how that works. <laughs> it's legitimately how that works. I assume it just means based on, but when did we change it from being suggested by? It's to- weird because it's a sequel to, it's a sequel to True Grit, which is like an iconic Western. Yeah. And there also might be a book is called Rooster Cogburn. Uh, yeah. Is the original True Grit good? I don't know. I'm not You've really never a, seen it. I've never seen it. I'm, uh, I'm not a fan of the remake either. I I liked it. The character performance was really good. And it's too cartoony. It's yeah, Coen okay. Brothers. It's just a, like it's very Falcon Falcon like Horn. Are you not a big Coen Brothers fan? I love Coen Brothers, but, oh, they, okay. but they also hit and miss. Mm, okay. Yeah, I like most. of I think stuff. there's a, there is a spectrum of. I have ma- massive respect for Coen Brothers as filmmakers, yeah. right? I, I I don't think I really dislike anything they've ever done. Yeah. But there is a spectrum of of styles of Coen Brothers that I like. Right? Some of them are hard to watch, yeah. kind of. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like uh, some of their movies hit for me, and some of their movies miss for me. And I will always give them a go. Yeah. Right. I sometimes even give them a go twice, but yeah. not everything. Not everything. They're works. worthwhile to not give a go twice. Always works for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, and I'm just not a John Wayne guy. The yeah. only John Wayne movie I like is Big Trouble in Little China, where he's played by Kurt Russell with a head injury. <laughs> <laughs> you should listen to the old Pork Chop Express and take his advice on a dark and stormy night, all right? When some wild-eyed eight-foot-tall maniac grabs your neck, taps the back of your favorite head up against a barroom wall, and he looks at cryptic in the eye, and he asks you if you've paid your dues. Well, you just stare that big sucker right back in the eye, and you remember what old Jack Burton always says at a time like that. Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir. The check is in the mail. Uh, Stunning. Yeah. Anyway, um, who's going to recap the premise of Streets of Fire? Um, you did last week. Yeah, Kira? I always do. Yeah, it. Kira's like trying to pretend she's not in the room. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. This is a rock and roll fable about a rock star lady that got kidnapped and her ex-boyfriend goes and finds her. This is a Western save the damsel and bring them back to town and have a showdown mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. yeah, that's my That read. is also a rock and roll fable. Yeah. The blockbuster entertainment guide to movies and videos from the year 1998, Streets of Fire. After rock star Lane is kidnapped by ruthless bikers, her rebellious ex-boyfriend, Pere, is hired to bring her back alive. Dreamy visual style, along with an energetically moody rock soundtrack, nearly compensates for script weakness in this deadpan takeoff of a 50s teen flick. Three and a half stars. Does almost compensate for it. (laughs) (laughs) That is pretty accurate. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's never clear to me why she was kidnapped. Not at all. I think he just fell in love with her and, like, wanted her. Yeah, he just wanted her. Yeah, it just seems like a... A, a lot a, of work. A big... Yeah, big... Attack to <laughs> kidnap someone from stage. Yeah. Because yeah. he's a madman. Normally in that kind of situation, there'd be some sort of like a ransom or... Yeah. Or like a like an inciting incident. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Janet Maslin of the New York Times in <gasps> June early. of 1984... Oh, my God. Wrote... Hey! If Walter Hill has directed any of his players in Streets of Fire, his self-proclaimed rock and roll fable, to do anything but talk tough and look hot, it does not show on screen. (laughs) (laughs) This is wild because this is what I have said about Walter Hill for years. Yeah. He doesn't have any other notes. (laughs) 
Yeah. Sexy posturing is what Streets of Fire is about. And if it were sexier or, or less humorous, it might really work. <laughs> Mr. Hill has made a stimulating, but finally exhausting exercise in thrill-seeking with a credo that is best summed up by the lyrics of the ear-splitting opening number, you may be going nowhere, baby, but you should be going nowhere fast. <laughs> Visually, Streets of Fire lies somewhere between The Wild One and Blade Runner. As a lot of 1950s influenced new wavers in black leather, the setting is another time and another place, race through decaying urban settings that have a bleak, nocturnal, faintly futuristic beauty. The urban romanticism tends towards neon signs reflected in mud puddles and confrontations in alleyways beneath elevated tracks. Mr. Hill is a superb stylist, and the gap between the visual effects and their narrative idiocy is enough to make you weep. Yeah. Coming back after the recap. As in The Warriors, he has constructed a great-looking but essentially pointless pop parable. Part of the problem lies in the screenplay by Mr. Hill and Larry Gross, even if you don't mind its misogyny. <laughs> the whole thing is, is problematically crude. There aren't any great performances, but there are some great faces. Michael Perry's heroic gaze, Deborah von Valkenberg's mm. long-suffering world-weary innocence, even Willem Dafoe's perfectly villainous punk heavy, and the four singers who make up a black a cappella musical ensemble, The Sorrells. Miss Lane is blander than the others, Hardly convincing as a singer, but she looks great in tight costumes. What, Janet? Okay, <laughs> sure. For all its studies sultriness, the movie feels unsexy. Perhaps its inspiration is a kind of hard-hearted Western that concentrates on manly combat while eschewing all sentiments. Streets of Fire, incidentally, is vile enough to raise a few eyebrows over its PG rating. Though there is little gore, the film includes a lot of explosions, a sledgehammer fight, and sexual molestation. But more than merely including this violence, it celebrates it as well. That's an interesting read. I think some of that is hit and miss. I think the combination of Wild Ones and Blade Runner was a really interesting call. Yeah. That's a really interesting call. Yeah. It was plenty sexy enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, between Diane Lane and Willem Dafoe. I mean, between the main character and Willem Dafoe for me, but like, hey. Sure. <laughs> whatever, whatever floats your boat. The weekend that this movie opened in the US, the number one movie was Star Trek Three. Ah. The Search for Spock, which had opened that week. Fuck. Some of the movies that are up against other movies like feel like different decades. You know second, what I mean? Second was Temple of Doom in its uh. second week. Wow, yeah. All right. And third was the Robert Redford baseball movie, The Natural. Streets of Fire opened fifth below a canon film. No. Oh, that's a sting. It opened below Breaking, the breakdancing movie. Oh, kind of break dancing oh movie. no. And very, it was the 80s. And very quickly fell out of the top 10. Oh. That's a sting. It was a significant flop. It cost $14 million. And Is that a lot in 1982? It's not, it's not a small amount of money. It's about $40 million adjusted for inflation. Right. So it's not a massively budgeted movie, but then also like you get less for your 40 mil today than you used to. So, yeah. What um, was that like basically? That would have been a like lot. Like Ghostbusters. The- so Ghostbusters cost like, tw- which is the biggest hit of that year. Yeah. Its budget was like $24 million. Right. right? So, Where would that money have gone? Just renting the lot? Oh, we'll talk about. Oh, yeah. okay. So there's there's some hidden costs. Right. In the production of this movie. Cocaine's a hell of a It only made, like, internationally, it only made, like, $8 million back on, wow. its, on its budget. So it was not a hit. Over the years, it has become a massive cult hit. Yeah. And has clearly been influential. I see parts of this movie in comics and video games. 
and really? then adaptations of those things what do into you mean? other mediums. I will talk about them as throughout as we're talking through the movie. Because I feel like this lifts heavy from other things. What do you feel like it lifts from? Like I just feel like I feel like this doesn't reinvent anything. You know what I mean? I feel like this is a solid western in a certain place in time. Yeah, but it's 1984. Once again, I think that in terms of context, there's not a lot of movies that are like this in 1984. Mm, okay, Blade Runner is two years is two years before this. Okay. Right? There's not a lot of movies that are like this in 1984. This right. is very style. It's very MTV. Oh, okay. Some of the editing in this is straight out of MTV. The editing yeah, I like. Yeah, the editing is pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah. yeah. So, like, the visuals are straight out of. And some of those, like, um, transitions oh, we'll definitely felt fuck, MTV. Yeah. yeah. Okay. My backstory with this movie is that this is a movie I remember the cover of from the video store so specifically. But I thought it was just a generic action movie. Mm. It has such a generic title, Streets of Fire. Yeah. It doesn't have a great cover. There is a version of this that has a really good cover, but the, the cover that I remember, which I'm pretty sure is the cover that I have, yeah. is not, just not very interesting, right? And because it was then found, I found out it was a Walter Hill movie, and I've talked about how I feel about mm. Walter Hill, I never really sought this movie out. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with two-dimensional movies, I feel like, but there's just nothing great about them. It's not, it's not that it's two-dimensional. It's that there's n- every single one of his movies is exactly the same. Yeah, I totally understand the criticism. Like it's yeah. just – and so, yeah, we'll get we'll talk through it as, sure. as, we, as we kind of get to it. So maybe 10 years ago, probably less than 10 years ago, there was a screening of this at the New Beverly Cinema in L.A., the theater that Tarantino owns, mm. and all of L.A. film Twitter tweeted about going to see this movie. Somebody tweeted a, uh, like some gifts from it. And I went, oh, that visually looks kind of interesting. And is that Diane Lane? Is that <laughs> Willem Dafoe? <laughs> yeah. I decided that I would track it down. And so I didn't grow up with this movie. This is a movie I feel, again, like probably in the same boat as last week, where it's a movie that I feel like I should have grown up with that I did not grow up, do not grow Cairns up Cairns breaking the format. Cairns yeah. breaking the format. <laughs> what, what format? <laughs> So, so you felt this way about Hill at an earlier age? Oh, yeah. Because oh, I knew who right. Walter Hill okay. was. He directed the 48 Hours movies. Right, okay. Yeah. He was a name I recognized. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a, it's, it's a interesting point of view to form at an earlier age. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. yeah I, I wouldn't so. have been that critical in my thinking. So I'm not really going to talk about how I feel about this movie because I want to save it through sure. for talking about the actual movie. But what I will say is that I am obsessed with the soundtrack. Yes, you are. Kira yes. was like... Yes, you are. Kira is like, I've heard this music before. I was like, yeah. I, I thought I had too. Well, I yeah, played he it. plays it, I all, play the it all the time. time. You play it. Are they not famous songs? They're famous from this movie. Oh, right. He I, plays it all the time. Okay. okay. You've I play heard it at our house probably every time you've been there. <laughs> right. For board games, for d d Yeah, okay. I own a Japanese first pressing <laughs> of this of album on vinyl. <laughs> and it's a great time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it made me feel like I had seen the movie, but I have not seen the movie. Yeah, okay. But it felt really familiar. And then yeah. I figured it out that it was because Ken... Plays the songs all the time. Plays the songs all the time. Yeah. If you want to watch this movie, it's been fairly like well rediscovered. There's a there's a great 4K Blu-ray that you can that you can find. You can also just rent and buy it digitally pretty much everywhere. So let's talk our way through Streets of Fire. Delightfully great opening. Yeah, the opening of this movie is spectacular. Yeah. Like so, we get the title 
a rock and roll fable another time another place and then <laughs> there's a series of like fast cuts of a city at night 1950s style city with all but with a lot of neon as yeah. they talked about reflecting in puddles a bunch of people are all kind of congregating towards a theater we start with two cops officer cooley mm. played by rick rosovich slider from top gun oh shit and also one of the very first victims of the terminator in the terminator Hectic. he's the boyfriend that dies in the in sarah connor's apartment oh, not okay. sarah connor's boyfriend her roommate's boyfriend right okay yep fuck your memory for shit he's incredible <laughs> oh he's also you've also seen him in navy seals oh. he's one of the navy seals in navy seals oh and he's also in the steve martin movie roxanne uh, I don't think I've seen that. Since in lots of stuff. Inside the theater, the lights are about to go down, and we meet Billy Fish, tough guy promoter, played by Rick Moranis. Tough guy promoter. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck is that casting? Yeah, yeah I have no idea. Yeah. It's like we need him to be like tough, so we'll have him from well, like. No, our- no, no. Walter Hill needs everybody to be tough, yeah. so we'll have everybody be tough. Yeah. But like Rick Moranis also needs to be pushed around and like nerdy. So like, yeah, okay, let's get Rick, Rick Moranis and have him yeah. be an arsehole. So Ghostbusters, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Little Shop of Horrors, Spaceballs, The Flintstones. <laughs> Flintstones. Yes, he's Barney Rubble. He's totally Barney Rubble. Fuck. <laughs> and you cast him as tough guy promoter Billy Fish. This whole opening yeah, sequence. weird, weird casting. This whole opening sequence almost feels like a trailer. Like it's just so like it's, it's cut and it's, it's just like it's so, it brings a lot of energy to it's it. It's MTV. Yeah. Yeah. The Warriors also has a really interesting, has like a really interesting opening, really energetic opening. With after, all the gang? Yeah. It's the cuts of the gangs and cut between trains running yeah. and gangs and also like snatches of conversation that do a lot of like heavy lifting exposition Yeah, with a, like a driving music underneath it. Yeah. So this is a technique that he, he has used before before and then Ellen Aim and the attackers come on stage to play Nowhere Fast. And now back home again the one, the only Ellen <laughs> oh, oh, Diane Lane, especially as Ellen Aim. Yeah, so who's but, really singing? Yeah, so that's not her singing. That is a band that was created for the movie called Fire Inc. Music is such a massive part of this movie that I'm going to talk in totality about the soundtrack now just to get it out of the way yeah, so cool. that we can then kind of keep talking through the rest of the movie. The music was produced by Jimmy Ivone, who's a legend. His career is so wild that he shaped the sound of music in like the late 70s and 80s for like a really, really long time. Like the movie? No. <laughs> Sorry, how many kids do I have? <laughs> cut that, cut that, cut that. 
<laughs> There's a doco about him and his relationship with Dr. Dre on Netflix called The Defiant Ones. So if you oh, want to okay. know more about this dude, his life is amazing. It's great. He co-founded Beats with with. I have with, heard of The Defiant Ones. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So it's about both of them. Okay. I mean, you learn a lot about him. He came up, he he was, I think he was in a relationship where he was married to Stevie Nicks. He produced like Fleetwood Mac and stuff. Wow. So he's like the, like one of the producers of the of music of the, of the 1980s. Wow. Ellen's voice is actually three different singers. Thought the end, the, I thought the end voice was different. It's not the same voice all the way through. So, well, the first song and the last song are the same person. Oh, so it's Laurie. Well, fuck me, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's Laurie Sargent, Holly Sherwood, and Marilyn Martin. Laurie Sargent was in a band, and so Fire Inc. are basically her real band. The two big songs, Nowhere Fast and Tonight Is What It Means To Be Young, were written by Jim Steinman, who's most famous for his work producing and writing songs for Meatloaf. Bad oh, out wow. of hell. Bad out of hell. All right. And I thought the last one felt like it was like a, almost a chart hitter. Yeah, and I'd do anything for love. I don't is that the mid one? The That's, middle no, music in Meatloaf song. I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> From the nineties. He also produced Bonnie Tyler's classic Total Eclipse of the Heart. Oh wow. The last song, um, Tonight is what it means to be young, sounds like Total Eclipse of the Heart. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. It sounded real familiar. So Famously, Jim Steinman about this movie said, and I mention it because, again, it's one of those things where something how I feel, I see reflected in what he feels about the movie. Yeah, sure. He thought the script was terrible, but he did think the film was going to be a big hit in part because of the producer, Joel Silver. Joel Silver kept on telling him, don't worry about it. This movie's about the visuals. It's about the excitement. It's about the thrills. The script doesn't matter. When they got to go see the first edit in a screening room, it was him, Jimmy Ivone, and Joel Silver and about 20 minutes into the movie, Jimmy leaned over to him and said, this movie's really shitty, isn't it? <laughs> it's really bad. And I said, yeah, it's a really bad script. Joel on the other side of them was just like, well, what am I going to do next? <laughs> <laughs> just did wow. not give a fuck. Yep. That's, they're the people that worked on the, worked on the soundtrack. Uh, music was also done by Ry Cooter. A lot of guitar music is done yeah, by score cool. was done by Ry, Ry Cooter. It feels like everyone fucking hated this, but like there's, there's not a lot to like, but there's also not a lot to hate. I, I, I'm really confused by the hate that this is getting, you know? Mm. I don't know whether it's hate or just sort of, this isn't, not belief. Yeah, it's like... I think this is very much a movie where from the perspective of the people that made it, they thought they were making something... Way better. Way better. And it didn't come together. Uh, right. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah right? I get it. They thought they were going to make like three of these. Yeah, right? yeah. That was their expectation. They thought they were hot shit coming off 48 hours and that they could do no wrong. I must be the only person in the world that would definitely see, what's our main character's name? Um, Tom Cody. Yeah, Tom Cody fucking just smolder his way through another bad film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, out on the street, Raven and his gang, the Bombers, they come into the town <laughs> on their motorcycles. They come into the theatre, Raven... He doesn't get called Raven until like the last sequence, right? Oh, no, it's earlier. It's earlier. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Raven backlit stares at Ellen. We see him so good, in a shot. series of cuts. We cut back and forth between Ellen and him, but there's no light on him. He's completely in shadow. He's just like shape and form. It's fucking awesome. It's amazing. And yeah. then the light comes up on his face and you see like how incredibly evil looking yeah, he is. It's such a good It's amazing. The song ends and Raven gives a signal. They rush the stage and then beat down the band. 
A guy with a uh, greaser duckbill haircut tries to stop them. Did you spot him? Uh, you mean my man, Billy P? Yep. We'll talk properly about him later. <laughs> okay. But yes, Bill motherfucking Paxton's in yeah. this movie. Um, Very what's briefly. that haircut called? It's a duckbill. Oh, right. Yep. Okay. Also, did you guys recognize Raven's head goon, Greer? No, I thought it was Robert De Niro when I first saw it. I was like, how old is this film? But then, no, I couldn't, I couldn't place him. It's Ving Lee. Ving Lee? Varney from The Taking of Beverly Hills. <laughs> Holy shit, Barney. he's baby-faced in this. And lead singer of the punk band Fear. Hectic. Right. Wow. Yeah. I can't believe that. Yep. He looks totally different. Yep. They snatch Ellen and start a riot outside. There are some... F- Fucking gnarly stunt in this yeah. section. Yeah. Can, we, can we slow down? i got to ask some technical questions. Sure. All right. So that silhouette shot, it was weird to me because like only the bikies seemed to be backlit and I just didn't know how they fucking- They, had, just they were in, the, sitting in the middle of a crowd. Yeah, and, they just flagged the light off. So uh, they just block the light that's on them. So there's light so on So like they else. individually block everyone that they don't yeah, want. Yeah, this movie is lit like a motherfucker. Yeah, it is. This movie's gorgeous. Also, like, I know we've mentioned grain before. And it was just like, oh, like lighting helps with grain and stuff like that. But what I don't understand is there are shots in this movie that feel like it's almost modern quality with like able to capture the detail and have no grain at night. But then there's shots that are just so grainy and it's, dark. It's just the, the, yeah, but you're not thinking about individual exposure for shots. Right. What right. do you mean? So, well, when you shoot on film, you can't see what you're shooting, right? So you have to oh, light based on like, you have yeah. to light based on like using light meters to literally measure light. And maybe you're in a situation where you need to rush. So you shoot something and when you come back, it's overexposed, it's underexposed, right? But then you need to like balance it in the, in, the chem, in the chemical process to match the shots around it. So you brighten it up. It brings out the grain, right? Oh, like, right. So there's no. I totally forgot back in the day you had to use like light meters and you couldn't see what the you fuck to, you were filming. You have to physically measure Holy light. Holy shit. Yeah, okay. Because you know that at this like f stop, getting putting this much light into the lens will make this object this bright on camera. King, this may be an offensive question, but sure. like when you first started in the industry, you weren't working on film, right? No, I never, okay. I've never worked on film. When did film kind of phase out? Well, by the time that I started on things, we were in very early digital, we were already in digital video. Right. Right. Um, digital video exists from like professionally from like the late night, from the late nineties. Right. But it was terrible. One of the, one thing I used to do very early on is, and it's probably one of the reasons that I love it is we would make a lot of stuff black and white because yeah. <laughs> video color was so garbage. Video oh. color would bleed. Right. So okay. red, like things were just colors looked horrendous. Right. So we would we'd make a lot of stuff in black and white. A lot of my early short films were in black and white because I hated the, the look of color video. Yeah. I mean, yeah. everyone has a secret love for black and white. It's just oversaturated, yeah. overdone. Now. Anyway, so yeah, gnarly stunts. Guy gets dragged behind a bike. That is the most Western shit oh, out. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah. It, oh yeah, this is absolutely Walter Hill. Walter Hill loves Westerns. Yeah. Right. He made a movie with Bruce Willis that is a remake of Yojimbo, the samurai movie that was turned into a Western. Oh yeah. With Clint Eastwood. Hectic. Uh, for a few dollars more. What's what's the what's it called? It's called Last Man Standing. We've talked about it before on the oh podcast. Oh my god, yeah, we have. Bruce Willis. <laughs> yeah. Like he just he he's made westerns. He made long riders. Yeah. The movie that I'm pretty sure the movie he made that came out last year was a western. Would we say that that's typical of a western to have every character be super tough? Sometimes. Not always. Yeah. 
I just don't think he knows how to do anything else. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> there was one stunt where it wasn't like that spectacular, but I feel like it would have genuinely hurt where his leg gets like nicked by the corner of a wheel and then a he motorcycle just, yeah. and then he like gets It's thrown. a stunt guy just getting Ooh. hit. Yeah. yeah, he just gets hit by a motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah, because that would hurt. Yeah, I think that the people got hurt. Yeah, yeah for sure. Because there's like big stunts that you see and it's like flipping bikes and all sorts of like craziness. Yeah. But th- those little ones are like, no, that would just hurt. <laughs> there was the amount of things happening in one shot. Like it's a lot of chaos. shit everywhere. Yeah, yeah. A, lot of chaos. a lot of stunt people. So people had to have got hurt. We see Greer sexually assault a woman. He rips her top off and, ki- and, and kisses her. Oh, I, I, didn't the, notice the her, I didn't notice him rip her top off. He I noticed does. him yeah. kick It's up. very brief. The cops show up. And the bombers just also attack them. They don't give a fuck. We yeah. get a pipe rollover stunt from the cop car. Saw that. Yep. Yeah. We, we really don't should see have, the pipe really though, do we? No, not at all. Yeah, we really it's should behind have. a thing. Well, that goes up over a car, yeah. right? And then roll and then rolls over. We really should have started to count. <laughs> yeah, we should have. Watching the chaos as they leave is Reva Cody, played by Deborah Van Valkenberg. Hell of a name. She is, is Mercy yeah. in The Warriors. Yeah. And like the weird thing is, is like, I like have like this kind of protective love for her because that's who her character was in the Warriors. You know what I mean? Like she like she's a tough girl, but like had been treated she so badly. The fuck off in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did she did she have a bit of a career? Because I haven't seen her in anything else. Not really. No. Yeah. Well, these are kind of her two, the two roles she's most known for. She has a very um. She has a look like she's been through some shit. Yeah, she's got an interesting face. Yeah. yeah. So the start of this movie, does the start of this movie remind anyone of the start of arcade classics Final Fight and Double Dragon? I'm not super familiar with Double Dragon, but oh, I can kind of say yes to Both Double of those games feature cities riddled with crime where a woman is kidnapped by a gang and needs to be rescued. Yeah. I thought Streets of Rage was more about, like, more taken from this. Similar. Right, okay. Yeah. There is a whole plethora of video games yeah, that are okay, clearly okay, inspired cool. by this movie. Yeah, even, so, like, maybe the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. <laughs> No, I don't know if I'd go that No, nah, okay. <laughs> but like Double Dragon and, and especially Final Fight. Final Fight, like the setting is basically the same city as Street. This movie is a side-scrolling beat-em-up. Yes. <laughs> yes. There's one street and they're just beating everyone up. It is. <laughs> this movie has levels. Yeah. They even do the destroying cars level. They go... <laughs> This movie has levels. <laughs> this movie influenced so much stuff. Yeah, there is another influence that we will talk. We will talk about later. Okay, that is pretty great. Is it going to break my mind? I also have some headcanon influences that I know that are actually not influences, but they're like things that it's like they all subconscious. Float, they all float in the same place of my brain. Yeah, together okay. that are related to this movie. She types a letter. Yeah. To her brother. This is the letter to the cowboy, come and, come and save us. Yeah, to the, yeah. Yeah, to the gunslinger. <laughs> yeah. Asking her brother Tom to come back to Richmond and help. I Bond. feel like she should have put a little bit more detail in her letter. Yeah. She says, well, she I also doesn't mention yeah. like what she really wants him to come back and yeah. do because he won't come otherwise. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. The and music at this section is very, um, very, I know I'm dragging on about it, but Western with oh, the like, yeah. guitar twangs oh. and slides and stuff. He moseys into town 
on the last <laughs> stagecoach. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, he comes comes home on a train. His sweet cowboy duster jacket and piercing eyes on that train. We get, oh. He gets a big close up. Oh my god, there's a moment coming up in a second that I was like, okay, now I'm in love. Yeah, I know what it was. <laughs> he gets off the train in Chicago, which is where that was shot, and walks down the street onto the street, and the street is a universal backlot in LA. Right. Can I ask? So the time and the place here feels like it's out of time and place. It is. Yeah, because there's- Other time and place. Yeah, but like it feels like it's very 50s, you know yeah. what I mean? Oh, because it's there's clearly also inspired a... by like Walter Hill's childhood, right? It's yeah. like, as he said, it's like muscle car, custom cars and yeah. hot rods and, and greasers like a, and punks and motorcycles. There's a point later where it's like 80s outfits. Yeah, and I was yeah, yeah. so confused. It's, it's such a- I lo- actually So love... it's intentional. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right, okay. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's meant to be like New Jersey, 30. something it's like that. It's always intentional. Yeah, okay. It's meant okay. to be Chicago. Oh, Chicago. Okay. Right. Guess I don't know that much about America. Yeah. yeah, this is the universal backlot. The street where the theater is and the diner and most of the locations is all the backlot in LA. They even built an elevated train rail on the street. Does, does that actually happen in America where the like, legs are on the road? Yes. Okay. Wow. That's weird. Yes. Weird. So shit's just like rat holes everywhere. Yeah. Just like a maze of streets. Yeah. Hey, and okay. because- a giant chunk of this movie is set at night. They built a massive tarp to tent the entire fucking street in so they could shoot during the day. I'm sensing a lot of cost. At a cost of $1.2 million. Whoa. I mean, but you kind of have to, don't you? Because otherwise you can only shoot at night. What do you think a tarp does? Does a tarp flap in the wind and make noise? Yeah. Oh my God. So they cause themselves all kinds of production problems with sound. Or if it rains. If it rains. Oh my God. Birds nested in it. (laughs) Well, they would. Yep. That is, that is poor forethought by the, like the guys. It's like we're trying to solve a, like that's the problem. He's like, so Blade Runner, right? Just shot nights. And everybody almost died making that movie Worth because it. they because they had to shoot every almost everything at night with smoke, toxic smoke, and 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 rain really? machines. Is that yeah, that's smoke. all the fog. All that fog is like fucking bees, burning beeswax and all kinds of like just toxic making it realistic shit. to that that future. Yeah. Inside the diner, Cody orders a coffee. Reva owns the place. Mm. There's another gang that that for, is from out of town that thinks that they can cause trouble, so they roll in. The preppy gang. Tough guy <laughs> Tough guy Reva gives them some lip, and we get a taste of the stylized dialogue of this movie. Well, you guys really know how to come through a door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but... It is. They start some shit. Cody slowly <laughs> takes off his duster jacket <clears throat> to reveal his denim cut-off shirt. And suspenders. And suspenders, and that is the moment that Brody... <laughs> I was like, that is a fucking look and I kind of want to have that look, but also I kind of want to. You don't want to finish that sentence. I just looked at Kira and Kira was like, don't. (laughs) There's no no world where that sentence ends in a good place. Yeah. You've moved so far past looking respectfully. (laughs) Hey, look, I'm. No, you're not. You're a filthy tramp. I think he'd appreciate it. I am am a filthy tramp. (laughs) They pull a switchblade on him. 
He slaps the guy and disarms him this and then gives so him the good. knife back, telling him to try again. This is so good. The amount of slaps that and boy then, gets. And then, he, and then we he get, like, again. there's a million cuts. Oh, it is so fantastic. Like, that is fantastic. Filming that would have been fucking hilarious. It's a lot of the same slap, just like <laughs> recut. Oh, over my over God, again. of course. Yeah, because yeah, the editing is great in this film. Yeah. The editing is phenomenal in yeah, this movie. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Wait, who edited it? Oh, I didn't write it down. I should have, hey. How can you not write that down? Uh, oh, business. Oh, yeah, he fights the rest of them with a coat stand. He wrecks the joint. He throws them out a window. Yeah, we get the classic. Dick, we get the classic Throwing throw out, out a window, window, bar yeah. window, yeah. out the saloon window. But also, that's his sister's place. What a yeah. dick, man! He sends them running home. And then claims their car, his new car. Yeah. Is that just how things worked in the 50s? I guess so, yeah. <laughs> Reva thinks he should sell it and buy her a new window. What do you think of my new car? Looks great. Why don't you sell it and buy me a new window? I'm glad that she called him on that because he was there. To, he was trying to protect her establishment. That's why he started the fight. And the way he did that was by throwing people through her window. Yep. Yeah, he fucked it up. His job was to disarm and subdue without breaking the restaurant. Yeah. He, yeah. So I'm glad that she that she gave him shit. Yeah, great call. They go for a spin in the car. Of course. Cody rings it out. Reva thinks that Cody should grow up, and she gives him the news that the bombers and Raven Shaddock stole LNA. Raven Shaddock. <laughs> they stole her. <laughs> they stole they her. They stole her. Shaddock. It's like we can't call him Raven Shadow, no. but we'll name him something close. The cops pull them over. By the way, the credits are still running. We're 15 minutes into oh this movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't even notice. The credits yeah. run until like the 16 or 17 minute mark of this movie. <laughs> How good is the cop it's coming like, up? And with the end credits, the end credits run 10 minutes. There's like an hour of this movie to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Half of this movie is credits. Yes. According to IMDb, the film editing for Streets of Fire is done by James Koblenz, Freeman A. Davies, Michael Rips, and Michael Tronick. Four editors? Four editors. Yeah, so that was a problem. <laughs> Any movie where you see more than two credited editors, they had issues <laughs> in post-production. But it's so good. The yeah. editing is the oh, good bit. Yeah, it really is. It is. I think it was mostly James Corblenz because he's the only one that has a picture on IMDb, so right. Yeah, right. the others may have been assistants. He sure. probably came in after to try and fix the movie. Yeah, the older cop that pulls them over, Ed, knows Cody. And warns him not to cause any trouble now that he's back. Tom he's like, Cody, of course. <laughs> the dialogue in this movie. He promises that he won't and uh, he wants them to give him a break. And they do. Yeah. They just let him go. Yeah. He was like driving recklessly. In a <laughs> stolen like, car. In a yeah. stolen car. Yeah. He burns rubber. And then the cops tell us how tough he is and how he belongs in jail with all the other juvenile delinquents. If your community will join together in a strong determination to protect his rights, then and only then can your community solve its problem of children in trouble. Like, are they all meant to be kids? It's, well, it's playing into, like, juvenile delinquency movies of the 1950s. Ah, uh, right. Like also, the I think they probably and know him. And sure. They probably know him from being a kid. Yeah, okay, yeah. that makes sense. And then sense. he left, and now he's back. But yeah. they still think of him as a kid. Yeah. That's Maybe, like, him. early 20s, young, 
yeah. like late teens. But I did get confused by his name because I didn't actually catch it the first time that he was Tom Cody. I got that he was Tom. Yeah. And then later he's being referred to, they're referring Cody. to Cody and I'm yeah. like, wait, what? I thought his name was Tom. Yeah. And then, and then a, like a couple of minutes later, someone calls him Tom Cody and I was like, ah, I see, I see what's <laughs> happened here. When I was running my notes. I thought they fucked up. I, when I was running my notes, I started with Cody, switched to Tom and then back to Cody. Yeah. And then I was like, oh fuck, I'm just going to confuse the hell out of myself <laughs> and everyone. So I went back and did a find and replace. <laughs> so I will be referring to him as Cody throughout. Yes. Okay. At Reva's place, <laughs> Cody asked her, if staying with her is going to cramp her style with any guys that she might want to bring back. Not tonight. She does bring guys in occasionally, but she doesn't have anything steady going. She tells him that Ellen was different and that she's hooked up with a rock promoter named Billy Fish who came out of the battery and now manages her. She wants him to go rescue her, but he doesn't want to help an ex who's shacked up with another guy. There's a there's a undertone here of like I mean first of all he's toxic as fuck right like let's just throw that out there the, like, okay we, we we should talk about the fact that this movie has very outdated yeah. ideas about relationships between men and women yeah it is very 1950s yeah it is very we're gonna go save the princess yeah it is very much our princess is he's he's like the 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 cowboy with the black hat I would suppose like he's the he's, he's the, the good gun, guy yeah. but he's got he's Bad in some ways. He's the, yeah. he's the gunslinger with a with a heart of gold. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, totally. But like, there's also this like kind of undertone of like people trying to make something of themselves in this movie. He's like, no, oh, fuck them. You know what I oh, mean? Totally. He's just <laughs> such a dick to everybody. Yeah, that's the thing about it. Is that like he is written to be antagonistic to, to everyone, every single person in this movie, <laughs> including his sister who he loves. <laughs> And someone who will become his best friend. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. He he talks to he talks to Reva the exact same way he talks to Billy Fish. That's actually now that you point that out, that's the flaw in his performance. He talks to everyone in the same way. It's the one note Walter Hill tough guy thing. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. And the script. And the script. Yeah. Which yep, Walter Hill yep. is responsible, co-responsible for. Yeah, I see it now. That's the problem. I do see is it. Is that there's no variation in tone. He doesn't have a character. He has a he has a a mood with people. <laughs> is that is that like and I'm not I'm not talking about Walter Hill in total, but like is that the gunslinger with the heart of gold thing? It's yeah. It's just. It's usually still more nuanced. Yeah, that's yeah, the problem. Well that's said. the problem is, is is that he doesn't need to like you know be, like show his heart, of, heart yeah. of gold at the end of the movie, but he needs to like treat his sister differently than he treats Bobby uh, Billy Fish. Yeah. And the problem is, is that he is also surrounded by people that speak exactly the same. Everybody yeah. is antagonistic with everybody all yeah. the time. All the everyone's time. Su- like everyone's a dick. Everybody is a dick to everybody. Yeah. Through the whole movie. <laughs> there is no variation. There is everybody has the exact same dynamic. Mm. Nobody has any any nuance. Yeah, Nobody that has ups is and annoying. downs. That really is annoying. Yeah, it drives me fucking nuts about this movie. Yeah. Fuck. Okay, I get it now. At a dive bar, the Blackhawk. Cody orders a tequila. The bartender is, yes, it's our boy. It's Billy oh, Paxton. With a dead tooth. As Clyde, with his, <laughs> with his painted dead tooth. You can yeah. just see that it's, <laughs> even on the VHS, you can just see they've just painted it back. <laughs> he asks Cody how his hammer is hanging. Oh, he's just the best, man. An- another customer, tough guy McCoy, <laughs> gives Clyde shit and they get into it. I love this sequence. Hey, bartender, you gonna shoot the shit all night or you wanna give me another drink? Hey, Tom, would you get a load of this little honey? She thinks she owns the place. I'm just trying to get myself a drink, pal. Well, maybe you've already had enough, babe. 
You gotta be kidding me. Do I look like I'm kidding? You know, maybe you ought to pay up as well. You've been driving up a cab here all night. We're not real big on credit. Are you trying to say that I can't pay? Yeah, let's see the color of your money. They're happy. Yeah, but now I don't like your face. You know, everywhere I go, there's always an asshole. McCoy is played by Amy Madigan. She's a former singer in the band Jelly. Huh. She once appeared in Playboy to promote the band Nude, covered in... Shut up. Jelly. I did not see her as a sex symbol. Yeah. so well, she's, she's such a tough guy. She's playing movie. a role in this movie. After this, she'd be nominated for an Academy Award. Shut up. For the movie Twice in a Lifetime. Intriguing. Wow. Yeah. She is Annie Kinsella. She's Kevin Costner's wife in Field of Dreams. Oh. What? Yes. Wow. She's got range. She has so much range. Yeah. Look, this sequence between her and Billy P is probably the highlight of the movie for me. Okay. Like her getting into it with Billy P and them talking shit at each other and then her just slugging him. When she read the script for this movie and met with the producers, she read for Reva. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. I mean, sense. it seems like she could probably play any role in this movie. Yeah. In the room, she told them that she wanted to play McCoy because it was the best part in the script. Yeah. <laughs> McCoy was written for a man. Oh. That makes so much sense. How much sense does that, that does make? That makes so much right? sense. Oh, that's so good. Walter also, Hill liked the change up. He was like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. McCoy was like an overweight dude, <laughs> older dude. Yeah, they're lucky that they did that because- Because it would, yeah. Yeah, because she's, she's- She's great. She she's fantastic. Great. Actually, in the 50s, were women serving in the army? Not in, not in combat. Oh, but she still could have been right. But also this is army. not- the re- it's another right. time, another, another time, place. Another yep, place. yep, yep, yep. As if McCoy isn't like the famous sidekick name. <laughs> okay, so many yeah. Just, yeah. yeah, McCoy knocks out Clyde and then jumps the bar. You got any preferences? Oh. I've always been a tequila man. <laughs> so good. takes a bottle and they get out of there. It's interesting that this is how he, he reacts to this situation because it seems as though he's mates with the bartender. Not heaps good. I think but enough school. enough that it's odd that he just goes, yeah, steal that and I'm just going to leave with you. I'm on I'm on your side here. Yeah. yeah. I don't think there's a lot of character logic in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but like it also feels like what are we going to call it? the gu- the gunslinger character? Mm. Like that's something they'd kind of do. They would be like, "Oh, it's not my not my fight." You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. but he does pick sides. Yeah, he does. That's, that's true. my point. <laughs> and can I just say though, if I was in a bar and a woman tried to pick me up that way, I would marry that girl. <laughs> like, that is the most fucking boss thing anyone could do. Okay. If a guy does it, toxic. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, Brody's boy. picking sides. Uh, yeah, they take the bottle and get out of there. McCoy gives us her CV in some... St- exposition is so fucking awkward. Yeah. My name's McCoy. I'm a soldier. At least I was up until about a year ago. Ran out of wars. <laughs> that is a line of dialogue in this movie. From an old guy, that line makes sense. From a young girl, that does not make sense. The response is, yeah, what's your spec? <laughs> Motor pool, nothing fancy. But if it's got wheels, I can drive it and I can fix it. Cody, that's funny. I just got it a couple of months ago. Been on R&R ever since. Yeah, how'd you like the army? I like shooting the guns, but I didn't win no medals. <laughs> The script of this movie is fucking garbage. Yeah. So bad. It makes me laugh, so I like it. Like, yeah. I like how bad it is. Same. And I like the attempt at trying to do something that's stylized, but it's not on purpose. Like, it feels a little bit like that- a- 
they're writing like, something that is clever. Right. It feels a little bit like a first draft. It, it's what happens yeah. when... Like, they need to have a conversation about this, this is the exposition, and we're going to do a polish <laughs> where gonna do, we like, make it... We're going to do, like, snappy dialogue, and they never That's got exactly to the polish part. And they never what got to does. the polish part. Yeah. yeah. I think it is the result of what happens when everything in the movie is surface level and like affectation because the director is focused on all of the stuff he's plastered on top of his script. So I think Walter Hill's coming into it with this grand plan of it's going to look like this and sound like this and move like this. Yeah. That he never focuses on the words that are on the page. Yeah. Well, didn't, like you said, someone actually said the words, the script doesn't matter because yeah, it's going to be flashing. It's, well, that was Joel yeah. Silver, the producer. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, anytime that's the, that's the concept in people's heads, it's like you have made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> He gets into his car. She asks him if he's got a spare bed. He thinks she wants maybe a quick tumble. He's not her type. She likes girls. It's never yeah, said, but she likes girls. That's what but I she took does from talk that after well. that. She like throughout the movie. She refers to being with guys. Does she? Yeah. Does she? Yeah, I don't think she does. She says uh, she says something about an ex that was a guy. And oh, does she? Oh, that's funny because I I I read I read that line that yeah. way as well. And then but then that's why I bumped on later when she refers to. Yeah, guys. Does she? Yeah, that's funny. Okay, I didn't. I didn't pick that up. I didn't pick that up either. I've always just assumed that she was. She was. She was gay. Yeah, I did too. She from could that be bi- line, she could be bi. She could be bi. She could totally be bi. It's way more fun. I mean, now I feel like I need to watch the movie again to yeah. make sure that I'm right about that. No, I'm pretty I think sure you are. I'm right. I think you are right. I do recall something like that. She thinks that him getting girls probably isn't a problem in his life. Honestly, he's so surly all the time that I think it probably is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> she's between jobs and the last time she checked, hotels cost money. He tells her to get in, but she's going to get the couch. And then, yeah, uh, the transitions. We have to talk about the transitions. Yeah. It's a train passing. It's very early video transition. <laughs> very stock transition. Yeah. I think it's meant to be, it has a sound attached to it. Yeah. And I think it's meant to evoke the sense of a train passing to transition yeah. between scenes. Yeah. But it just looks like breakup junk because it's, yeah. it's a video transition. Okay, I finished the gardening sequence. Okay, from here we star wipe to a glamour shot of Flanders paying his bills. Then we star wipe to Flanders brushing his... Dad, there are other wipes besides star wipes. Why eat hamburger when you can have steak? I'm taking my name off this thing. Cody and McCoy have a very simple conversation where he asks her if she always packs a gun. And the way they talk to each other is like they are fucking bitter enemies. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're trying to feel each other out to see if like someone's going to try and kill each yeah. other in the night. Yeah. Cody sits on his bed and as he looks at an old photo of Ellen, we get a flashback of her performing. It will never be you. This is the second different voice. Yeah. Cody tells Reva he'll do it, but not for nothing. He wants to meet with Fish and talk business. And oh yeah, there's a girl sleeping on the couch. Why is she on the couch? Go ask her. <laughs> you could just fucking tell her. Yeah, I know. I ran into a bar. She seemed like she was on tough times. Yeah. I'm gonna We're help. both we're gonna, army people. Like, gonna, she's a veteran. We're gonna, I'm going to yeah. help her out. But no. We also get the shirtless suspenders oh, okay, as well. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great look. Cool. Great look. Good for you. Okay. <laughs> the next day, we get a good look at the size of the set. It's massive. It's the whole street. Massive. I think it's the New York uh, street set on the Universal Backlot. So yeah. It's been times in main movies. I thought it was a set originally, but throughout the movie, I kept feeling, like, oh, maybe they just like shut down a block. No. They did some exterior shooting in real locations in Chicago, which you see later on in the movie. Okay. Cody goes to see a mechanic about some tools. He buys a sniper rifle, or sorry, a, a lever 
What is it? Was it? It's like a Western, like it's a Western, um, like lever flint. Lo- it's not flint. It's not a flint lock. Lock. What do they call it? Like a pull lever rifle. Yeah, it's a rifle. He buys a rifle that, it's, that it's, has a lever. Yeah, the one where you like not cock a, it. Not a gun pot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're so bad at this. I know. A shotgun and a revolver. The gear up is intercut with Reva and McCoy talking about Cody. He was crazy about Ellen, but he didn't want to be number two to her music. Back at the dick man diner, tough guy Billy Fish. <laughs> And Cody talk business. <laughs> Cody wants 10 grand to get Ellen back and Fish has to come with him because he knows the battery because he's from there. 10 grand would have been a lot of money. The 50s. This isn't the 50s. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm sorry. After some tough talk, Fish agrees. I love that this guy was doing absolutely fucking zero before this. <laughs> <laughs> to get her back, yeah. yeah. And uh, I love how the cops did fucking zero as well. Yeah, McCoy wants to be cut in, but Fish doesn't want to take no skirt along. <laughs> Plenty good enough, and I ain't gonna let you down. Listen, skirt, let me make it simple for you. Take a hike. Oh, fuck, man. She makes the case that she can handle herself. Cody ends up cutting her in for 10%, but she works for him. He tells her to do something, she does it. She doesn't do more, she doesn't do less. Yeah. I'm gonna be one note about my complaints about this. But I get it, man. Like, the it's so obtuse, I feel, is the best way to put it. Yes, it's a complaint that I have about this movie, but it also cracks, also makes it also the movie. cracks me up. Yeah. It's also part of the texture. I have to accept it as part of the texture of the yeah. movie. Yeah, the only reason it's a complaint is because, I, because it doesn't seem like it was intentional. They weren't trying to make you laugh with the dialogue. No. They, they, yeah. they just didn't do good dialogue. I feel like this <laughs> If does, it was intentional, then this is probably a fantastic movie. Yeah. I feel like this does ring true of older movies, though, where the dialogue was the, never that great, but the story was. A yeah, but good it was story. still more. There was still I more nuance. If this is like, if this is also meant to be like, you know, a play on like tough guy movies, western movies, gangster movies from like the thirties and forties and fifties, mm. like I watched those movies. I watched the original, the original Scarface not that long ago. Yeah. I watched the original Public en- Public Enemy with with Cagney, James yeah. Cagney, and the dialogue is way better written. I feel like <laughs> there's flat dialogue in those movies, but there's always points of great dialogue. Mm. You know what I mean? Fish complains, I'm not paying any extra for you to take some sweetie pie along for company. <laughs> and they roll out. It doesn't seem as though he's reading the- The vibe. The vibe. Mm. Like, like, they're clearly not together. No. And also McCoy is clearly able to get take care of herself and is yeah. Yeah. going to be quite helpful in this, in this venture. Like, it's not- it's like he didn't pay attention to anything other than that this is a female person. No. Yeah. Yeah, that, you're correct. Also, but, like, has, I don't know why he hasn't clued on to that this guy might know your girlfriend as well. Well, he's just a gunslinger. Yeah, I know. But, like, you would ask that question in your head. Like, why do you care? Yeah. Yeah. So they roll out and we get this exchange. You got a real big mouth fish. Look, Butch, I buy and sell people more valuable than you every day. You know, it's hard to figure out what's more pathetic, the way you talk or the way you dress. Let me tell you something. These clothes are worth more than you make in a year. I can see working with you two is going to be a real dream. (laughs) (laughs) We move on to the second level, the battery. Fish thinks they'll have her at Torchies, which is a dive bar surrounded by factories. It's the shits. The plan is that motorcycles don't run so hot when you shoot holes in them. Yeah. That's gener- the whole that's plan. A, that's a general rule that's for a, most things. Yeah. Also, I just want to say I love the name The Battery for the this battery. place. Yeah. 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 They park 
and watch as some bombers kind of roll past. Inside Torchies, it's a party. The band is playing One Bad Stud as a woman dances on top of a bar trying to avoid the hands of the bombers. Anyone else get like strong uh, Jamie Lee Curtis vibes from her? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> that is Jennifer Beale's body slash dance double from the movie Flashdance, Marine Jahan. Okay. Raven and Greer walk through. Raven's wearing his uh, black leather apron slash yeah. overalls. Yeah, that was that was a fucking look, man. It's like a I, don't, I don't know what it is, but like it's like just a sick style choice, but also just like it was something about it. I was like, it's doing something for me. Yeah. Well, he has Ellen tied to a bed. He tries to kiss her and she resists. He tells her that if she acts nice and they fall in love for a week or two, he'll let it go. You know, you're making things real hard on yourself. You act nice, you and me fall in love for a week or two, and then I let you go. Nobody gets hurt. You see, I ain't such a bad guy. I just get excited around pretty girls. I kind of love that. Um, <laughs> just like, no, look, I just, the the insight into his, like, insanity, you know what I mean? I it's like, like how, I'm, I enjoy how evil he is. Yeah, it's just like, I'm just, I'm I just like interested in you for a week yeah, or two. Okay. Yeah. That is his motivation. Yeah. What? Don't give me that look. I'm just if saying it's my, a good character if motivation. If you're my sex slave for a couple of weeks. But it's just like, it's a good evil motivation. You know, he's he's real about it. Like, he's like, I only want you for it a week one or of those two things and then where, fuck off. Yeah, it is one of those things where it's a little far. Yeah, it's totally. A little, it's a little too much. There's, I mean, there's a lot in this movie. It's a little oh, too much. Oh, I mean, like, yes, but we could have also gotten something way heavier oh, because okay. she's like a kidnapped at a bikey bar, you know? Yeah. That was just a big character shift in Brody. What do you mean? <laughs> it's just not like that's the opposite to the way you have reacted to scenes like this in every other movie that we have watched on this no, podcast. I, I, no, in, in like in what it is, it's very wrong. <laughs> in what it is, it's very wrong. But in like evil character motivation, the idea of I just want to play with you for a couple of weeks and then like you're gone. Like that's how evil I am. I don't even love you. I'm not that obsessed with you. I just want you for a couple of weeks, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was I thought it was different. Cody lays down the law. Any mistakes and you're gonna walk home. They're walking through the factories to get to Torchies and they run into Ed Beakley Jr. <laughs> yeah, the dad from Pineapple Express. Okay, sure. That's where you know him from. <laughs> I know yeah. him from lots of other things. Environmental well. active activist, all around good guy. He's been driving an electric cars since the nineties. Super funny. Yeah. There are electric cars in the nineties? Oh, there's a whole do- he made he's a he is in a documentary about how the auto industry killed electric cars in the, 90, yeah. in the 1990s. Oh, actually, I think I have heard of Who that. killed the electric car. Yeah. yeah. And the first time around, mm. the, birth, the birth of cars, there was electric cars and there was petrol cars. Yeah. yeah. Guess who won? Yeah. Yeah. So he's playing a homeless guy, Ben. He tells Fish he's short and then devolves information about where Alan is. <laughs> yeah, which they already knew. Yeah. Which Torchy's, Torchy's points second out. Floor. Well, then Cody, yeah, Cody tells him to give him some money. Or he'll give him some of his money. <laughs> and then Rick Moranis argues that, I, yeah, I already made me give him money. I already told you that that's where she was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they take an elevated position across from Torchy so that they can check it out. The exteriors of the battery were shot at an old soap factory in Wilmington, North Carolina. Hey. Yeah. A place that will show up many times in the movies that we watch. Why is that? Well, because lots of movies were shot there. Oh. And it is, of course, Creekside in Dawson's Creek. Oh, Capeside, um, Creekside. Creek I don't know. It's the creek. Yeah, it's the creek. It's Dawson's Creek, that is set in Capeside. Okay, sorry. 
I misspoke. What do you want from me? Jeez, Creekside. Oh my god. <laughs> Creekside is what is what Dawson calls it when he turns it into turns oh, his life well, into a movie. <laughs> so I really, just really think I care that much. <laughs> I love this bit of the film because this is the like the we'll get in a ridge and ambush the bad guys like mm-hmm. part of the western oh yeah it even has we'll the, the proper the rifle and everything as yeah. well yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely I fucking it's such a vibe like yeah. this this is such a perfect western I reckon Cody sends Fish back to the car and tells him to be out front in 15 minutes and sends McCoy to go in to try to get up to the second floor I and felt he unsafe will meet her up top I thought that he was going to go in as well and that they were going to meet inside. Yeah. So well, they, then, when so he was then, hanging out, I started getting yeah, fucking worried then, about her. Because then he, she's inside, and then they keep cutting back to him, just kind of like looking around. Yeah. And I'm like, aren't you meant to be going in to meet her on the yeah. second floor? <laughs> I thought you. you were going in from the top, and she was coming in from the bottom, and you were gonna ambush. Yeah. Why are you hanging out on the roof? Yeah. It wasn't until he started shooting bikes that it made sense. But for a while there, I was like, you made up this plan. Why are you not following yeah. the plan? Yeah. It's but, like you're taking your time, buddy. <laughs> Well, before that, inside McCoy makes friends. A bomber hits on her and she uh, goes upstairs with him to the party room. They have a party room upstairs. Mm. But she does, uh, in fact, pull a gun on him and cold cocks him with it. She busts in on Raven's poker game. Knock, knock. She's a fucking hero, man. Raven is just like, this is not the first time I've had a gun pointed at me today. That was fucking cold. The way just he didn't react and he's just like... Interesting. Yeah. Interesting development. Yeah. Cody sees that Alan's tied up through a window and he gets all misty before he starts <laughs> to fire what must be incendiary rounds at motorcycles because everything <laughs> blows up. Every bullet he fires must it's be a, incendiary everything, rounds. Everything's a, everything is a shot of C4. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Again, we get some really hard bumps in this sequence dudes yeah. like slide and flip over bike there's a guy who fucking is on the first shot of the bike yeah, that he's explodes on fire. he's on the fucking bike when it explodes yeah, and he's on fire that was fucking terrifying <laughs> yeah yeah Greer thinks McCoy's there to rob the game but she isn't she holds them in place uh shooting a guy that comes at her Cody does get into the building and free Ellen. We don't even see how he gets in the building he's just no, with yeah. her he's with just her in there. they exit they meet up with McCoy and run uh, I love McCoy's. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Who are you? McCoy, I'm a big fan. Yeah, great. Come on, let's go. Always nice to meet a fan. <laughs> Fish keeps his word and pulls up. Cody tells them to meet him at the underpass uh, under Grand. He's going to run these guys for a while. Ellen wants to stay with him, but Fish is like, no, 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 you're coming with me. Yeah. I'm your boyfriend. Yeah. Cody beats up a bunch of bombers as the others escape causes a fucking ridiculously large explosion. The fucking the, he runs up to two pipes hits them twice with the butt of a gun these are like solid iron I'm pipes. Like, I was like I was very confused, confused about, about what, what he was doing. doing I've seen this movie before several times and I had forgotten that he just runs up and like the thing is is that he hits them really awkwardly Yeah, and it's like not Hard enough at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not going to break anything. Like before he shot them and they showed stuff that was leaking, like I thought he was just trying to make noise. So like those explosions going. You don't need to just bang on some pipes. (laughs) Yeah. It was really an odd choice. I think they needed to show a close up of him 
knocking break, breaking the it, yeah. pipe I think bits. probably they didn't end up with the coverage, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. because so, it, it's lucky that they got the coverage of the stuff leaking oh, down. Otherwise, like, it would have just been like, what is happening right do now? Do you mean like a close-up of him banging on the pipe, breaking something? Yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah. would have helped so, so because much. It then it would have given you some Because it doesn't break in the shot that no, he's in. it doesn't. And he, and he walks away from it. <laughs> yeah. And then they show a shot of it leaking. Yeah, because yeah. when he was hitting it, I thought he was trying to bre- like make it fall over. And it didn't. So it was like, okay, so we're showing this guy failing to do something yeah. and then walk away. <laughs> what was also funny is like they're clearly all scrambling to try and find the people that are like doing something. He's standing and right there. And there's so many people running around here. And yeah. he's standing right there. Just banging on a pipe. Yeah. He jumps on a motorcycle to steal it when Raven walks out of the flames. Yeah. Oh, he's happy he's found someone who likes to play as rough as he does. Well... Looks like I finally ran into someone that likes to play as rough as I do. Yeah, this must be a lucky night. I'm lucky? I guess maybe I am. But you're dumb. Real dumb if you think you can pull this off. I think you're forgetting something. I got the gun. I can get guns, smart guy, lots of them. Now why don't you tell me your name? Tom Cody. Pleased to meet you. I'll be coming for her. And I'll be coming for you too. Sure you will. And I'll be waiting. Oh, I love yeah, that. Willem Dafoe is fucking great in this movie. Fuck, he is eating the scenery, dude. Yeah. Just chowing down. He wants to know Cody's name. Yeah. He's like, tell me your name so I can find you. Yeah. We should be friends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I'm going to stab you. Yeah. And of course, Cody tells him, Tom Cody. Yeah. He, uh, William Defoe is the only one that manages to actually sell any of the dialogue in this movie. Very true. Yeah. I mean, he could sell fucking anything. Yeah. That is very true. Raven tells him that he'll be coming for her and him too. And then he just walks away. Yeah. He's like, there's no reason to settle this now. Let's drag it out and play. Yeah. Let's do this. Cody rides off and then under the underpass, Fish wants to leave soon if Cody doesn't show. He tells Ellen that Cody's being paid to rescue her and she's like shocked by that. (laughs) Cody then shows up. Yeah, she knows him. It's like, yeah. We also get the shots of him riding across the bridge that were very pretty. Oh yeah, there's a sequence where he's riding. That's quite gorgeous. That's all Chicago. That's all Chicago at night. McCoy tells Fish that Ellen and Cody were once a hot and heavy couple. Yeah. Okay. Now that Ellen is back with us, back in the movie, I want to talk about some other things that this movie has clearly influenced. The first one, Ellen Aim, Envy Adams. You reckon? Absolutely. 100%. Scott Pilgrim. Oh, no. Hello again, friend of a friend. I knew you were. Kinda, maybe. Fish is Gideon Graves. <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely an ingredient in the original comic. Brian Lee O'Malley, who created Scott Pilgrim, took things from all of the stuff that he was in, he was in love with. Okay. Yeah. I like can, totally not that. even close because yeah. it's being filtered through another creative person that has all these other influences, right? Yeah, but the but ex-girlfriend singer who's kind of like tough and yeah. Ellen Aim is so Envy Adams. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the same inspiration. Yeah, and like the characters of the two bad guys kind of like feel similar even though they're definitely not, you yeah. know? Yeah. 
one of the other influences, and this is again, this is like the this is the headcanon stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so Scott Pilgrim, absolutely, I think that it was an influence. I haven't had the opportunity to ask Brian Lee or Melly, but I will one day. Yeah, make sure you follow up. <laughs> with yeah, him I'll follow up yeah, with yeah, him, cheers. right? In my headcanon, one of the other influences on Scott Pilgrim is a Super Nintendo game. Yeah. <laughs> called Earthbound. <laughs> also known as Mother 2. It's where the name the Chaos Theater comes from in Scott Pilgrim. Ramona lived in New York. Oh, did she? I was just there. Played the Chaos Theater for Gideon. You know him, right? Oh. So Chaos Theater is from the video game Earthbound. Yeah. And then shows up in Scott, Pil- Scott Pilgrim. Which came first with Scott Pilgrim? The game or the... the There's no game. There is the a game. There's a beat-em-up game. first. There is a beat 'em up game. Yeah, it's a comic. The book. comic came first. The comic. comic came first. Okay, cool. It's a comic book and then a movie and then a beat 'em up game. Right. Okay. Oh, the game came after the movie. Yeah, the game is part of is part of the promotion of the movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I thought it was comic game movie. Okay, cool. Yeah. Sorry. And there is an anime coming. Oh, cool. Oh, that's a good choice. Yeah, there is a Scott Pilgrim, a good choice, Scott Pilgrim yeah. anime coming from Brian Lee O'Malley and Ben David Grabinski, who right. is. One of my favorite follows on film Twitter. They'll they'll look like the characters in the comic book, right? Yeah, they're not going to turn them into like anime looking characters. Well, they already are the kind of anime but looking like, characters. They are kind of. They are like, of like a not particular hard Japanese yeah. anime characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Will anyway, you guys watch so, that. Just side note. Yeah, absolutely, I'll watch it. We like Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, but you guys aren't big anime people. It's that okay, doesn't. The medium sometimes. doesn't mean anything. The story is everything. Okay. I'm not anti anime. Okay. At all. Okay. I'm like into good storytelling. So if I see an anime that has good storytelling, I will like it. I don't care if it's anime or not. Cool. But the reason I bring up Earthbound, there is also a band in that game called the Runaway Five that travel on a school bus. Ah. So for me, Earthbound has massive Streets of Fire vibes. So all of those things kind of just float around. Scott Pilgrim. Earthbound and Streets of Fire are all melded in my head as being things that are connected in some way. Some way. So Earthbound before or after Streets of Earthbound Fire? Earthbound is from the is from the nineties. Okay, so yeah, after Streets of after Streets of Did Fire. Did you play that growing up? Earthbound, yeah, I love that game. It's where really? the yeah, it's when um, Ness is yeah, Ness yeah, is yeah. From. yeah. That game. So there's a the the incredible thing about that game is that is that it's a Japanese game that was translated into English, and when it was translated into English, they basically it was translated by one guy the whole game, but he made the game ridiculously meta. Yeah, there's and, a lot of lore about that game, and there's a lot of like sarcasm and humor in that in that game. Ah. Like when you call, you have to call your mother mother to save. Or, you know, you call your father to save and then he complains about the fact that you only call him to save. Yeah. <laughs> and that he's put some money into your bank account. Like it is filled with the the sense of humor hit me like perfectly because it's like the scream of video yeah, games. Okay. Like it's the first one that is commenting that I, first video game I ever played that commented on the fact that I was playing a video game. Yeah, man. Yeah. And it has massive Scott Pilgrim vibes, clearly inspired yeah. Scott Pilgrim. And I think Scott Pilgrim was also inspired by Streets of Fire. And so I think there's this weird I definitely see the connection. Connection. Yeah. That's my headcanon segment. Yeah. I can't can't find any holes in that. Cody tells them that they have to dump the car because the bombers saw it. See, when he said he wanted to dump the car, I assumed that meant destroy the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It did not because the car comes back. The car comes back. Yeah. But I just assumed that that like as you did the like destroying the evidence sort of thing. Like I thought, oh, they're gonna like 
I knew even after we didn't see it, I figured that they, you know, drove it off a cliff or dumped it in no, the they, lake they, yeah, or they park it in a car park. Or burnt yeah. it or something. But they just park it somewhere and then go They'll get just it hide later. It in the car park. This this is like logically this doesn't make sense to me because like they're in front of their enemy and like they just have to drive a couple of hours to get back in town and then they can stay well, They have to safe. travel through Ardmore first. Oh. They have to travel through the next level. Uh, yeah, which makes like logical sense to the movie, but like practical sense in real life, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, but it's all just so that we can do stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So they yeah, they park the car in a in a car park. Ellen wants to talk to Cody in private, so while everyone else takes a lift, they take the stairs. And they argue she can't believe that he's doing this for money. What does she expect? Fuck off. <laughs> McCoy in the elevator teases fish that they might not be talking. Wonder what they're talking about. Who says they're talking? Cute. It's just a joke, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that McCoy fucks with him. Uh, and then we come to one of my favorite parts of the movie. The musical interlude? The next level, yeah. Uh, Ardmore. We get a montage that intercuts people like partying on the streets with cuts to black in time with the music. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the music is Alan performing a Stevie Nicks song, Sorcerer. I knew that song. I love that song. Yeah. That song's also on the soundtrack Uh, and it's it's fantastic. It's actually not sung by Stevie Nicks. It's Marilyn Martin in the the movie. Because it's meant to be Ellen. Because it's meant to be Ellen. Yeah. It's it's cut like a music video. The editing in this sequence is like stunning. Yeah. It's Mm. fantastic. Yeah. I I think this is where where I actually made my note saying that I like the editing in this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I can't think of another movie that uses cuts to black like that. Yeah. Especially not at the, like, People do that in the beginning, like for the title sequence or something yeah. in some movies, but to have that as a style shift. It, it, to begin your second to, act. Yeah, in the middle of a movie, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah, so they're walking through the, the streets in a bar, a character named Baby Doll spots Ellen through a window and chases them down. What is the purpose of this character? Uh, I don't know what the purpose She has no purpose. Oh, yeah. Did you recognize her voice? I knew that no. I knew her. Who is she? That's E.G. Daly. No. Mm. She's a singer and actress. Yeah. Most well known as the voice of Tommy Pickles in Rugrats. Tommy Pickles oh, in Rugrats. Shit. That's who it is. Hey. Hi, guys. Hey, what? what's sorry? Where are you guys going? We're nobody. We're going nowhere. Nobody goes nowhere. Look, knock it off. We're not interested in conversation. Okay, moron? I know you. I know who you are, Jig. I love your stuff so much. I really do. I'm not sorry. I won't hide. And this isn't your playground anymore. Says who? Says me. This playground is for good kids who get along and play nice. Fuck yeah. I can't believe I didn't pick that up. Have we, also, have we also seen her in We've something? We've seen her in other movies. She Because she's a singer and performer, she's also uh, performs in the movie Better Off Dead with John Cusack. Right. So she's on stage at the school dance in that movie. Has 
Has she yeah. been in something that we've watched for the podcast? I don't think so. I feel like we have discussed. Maybe I feel that was like- Bart's voice. Chucky, yes. We talked about the voice of Chucky. Because, um, yeah, I'm her voice sure. was so familiar and I was like, I know you from somewhere. Where do I know you from? She does a lot of social media stuff like where she's like out and about like doing the voice for people, hey. Yeah. I love Tommy Pickles. Yeah. Yeah. She was very disappointed that they wouldn't let her sing in this movie. Considering yeah, they had two thing. singing actresses and neither of them are the singer in the <laughs> in yep. thing. That's weird. Yeah, it's an odd choice. Yeah, yeah, she's Ellen's biggest fan and tells her that the cops are looking for them because they know that they're the ones that hit the battery. So they need new wheels. So Cody just steps onto the street and stops a bus. Yeah. I just thought at one point there was like one dude on the bus. And I was like, are they really going to do this to this guy? Just yeah, like hold guy. this guy by hostage? No, no, no. No, they're going to hold five people by no. hostage. Mm-hmm. On the bus Four. are the singing group, the Sorrells, and McCoy is going to drive. And they recognize Ellen. They want to open up for her. <laughs> Fish tells him to shut up. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're kidnapping us. The least you can do is let us open for I you. I know, right? <laughs> I have to avoid the cops uh, from Ardmore because they're, they're hot, notoriously hard asses. They have a flat tire. Baby Doll and Ellen, while they, so McCoy is changing the tire while Fish complains that it's not happening fast enough, right? Yeah. Baby, there's like 20 guys standing around not so changing stupid. the tire. Yeah, but McCoy's the one that knows about cars. And yeah, true. Them. I forgot right. about that. McCoy and Baby Doll chat. We find out that Ellen doesn't even write her own songs. Billy yeah. buys or steals them for her. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody else writes the songs. Billy buys them or steals them. I can't write for shit. I always thought those were your songs. I just sing them. Yeah. Fucking no one's a good person in this movie. No. Yeah, maybe maybe the Sorrells. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If oh, you look yeah. at it, that if you look at it, that a that a down on their luck band get their big break. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. Yeah, Fish and Cody uh, face off. Fish tries to tough guy Cody about how he does things for Ellen that Cody could never do. Yeah, you know what? When Baby Doll got introduced, I thought this was heading down the road of oh, Fish is going to like lose Ellen so she he's gonna just be like oh I don't care I've got baby doll she'll keep doing the same thing yeah but they like totally steered away from that and I could not figure out what the fuck baby doll's purpose was <laughs> so she, she's just a fan yeah she's just there just going for a ride along it's it's a little weird yeah, yeah. they get back on the move the Sorrells audition as they drive they send Countdown to Love and remember when you didn't love me now all the time you think you love me I love these guys. Yeah, they're great. They're fucking great. Ahead is a roadblock. They're going to have Fish pose as the Sorrell's manager while pretty much everybody else hides. One of the cops is Peter Jason Leahy from Prince of Darkness. The older white guy. Yeah, the older white guy. Oh, shit. Yeah. Fish tries to make a financial agreement with the cops for them to pass through. Cut the shit, okay? You guys got a big job to do. We're trying to get where we're going. Now let us through. Or you want to come to some kind of financial arrangement? But he seems too eager. Well, the mm-hmm. cops are tweaked by how much cash they have. They don't think that black musicians would have that much money. <laughs> he uses <sighs> another word to describe it, which I will not say on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck so this guy. Cody racks his shotgun and lays out how they're going to play it. They get off the bus with their guns drawn and get all the cops on the ground. McCoy says, some of you guys have cute little asses. It'd be a shame if I had to blow some of them <laughs> yeah, off. That's pretty good. Cody 
uses to shotgun to blow up cars because that's how cars work in this universe. <laughs> cars were either extremely volatile back in the day or bullets were very good Well, back they're in manufactured the day. with gasoline. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is. And the bus has to drive through the exploded cars. Yeah. They do the, and the bus ends up on fire. Yeah. <laughs> and then they cut and the bus is no longer yeah. on fire. Yeah. <laughs> like, we made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just fix that. They should have done the whole like bus blasting through the fucking road block anyway because yeah. they fucking ditch it. The cops still managed to call in the bus, so they have to dump the bus. They've been yeah. in the bus for like 30 seconds. I know. They fucked this quartet, man. They really did. Yeah. And they jump on a train because Walter Hill is just straight up remaking The Warriors. The now. Warriors right here. Hey, <laughs> yeah. there is a scene towards segment. the end that is like straight lifted from that this movie. This whole segment of the movie where they yeah. are going through Ardmore is just like, I'm surprised they didn't run into another gang. I'm surprised <laughs> there wasn't someone on the radio going like, All right now. For all you bumpers out there in the big city, all you street people with an ear for the action, I've been asked to relay a request from the Gramercy Ritz. It's a special for the Warriors. That's that real live bunch from Coney. And I do mean the Warriors. Here's a hit with them in mind. At least they do talk about the consequences because they do, the band do talk about how they lost all their stuff. Yeah, thank so you. So it's not like they pretend like it's n- nothing. Like that. There's they and they do. They I acknowledge guess, get consequences in this movie. They do. Is that nice. is true. On the train, McCoy and Ellen. McCoy thinks that she should be grateful that Cody saved her. I mean, but like facts. Okay. <laughs> and then Ellen goes and sits with Fish and kisses him. To make Cody jealous. Yeah. 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 And he's just like, he's just like, yeah, um, whatever. Whatever. Everything's yeah. good now. Even though he's not whatever. Right. Yeah. But you would never know because he has no variation in his tone. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing in the movie about it. Back yeah. in Richmond, it's morning when the train arrives. Clyde tells Reva that they're back and it's a big deal. Like a crowd starts <laughs> to gather because Ellen's so famous. They go to the cop shop and the cops ask Ellen if she's okay. Fish answers for her. We should never have booked a gig in this shithole. Yeah. And Ellen's just like, well, I just want to get back on the road. She tells Cody she hates him for taking money to come and get her. And the crowd cheers for Ellen as they leave the cop shop. I mean, like, A, unappreciative. B, did anyone clock Reva's running style when she's running up to the cop no, shop? No. <laughs> it was so awkward. It was so good. She can't run. No, it's just like, it felt like something from a comedy movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> I did not notice. <laughs> I think it's perfectly fair for Cody to be paid to rescue right? his not girlfriend. Like he's essentially a mercenary. Like that seems to be. He's a hired gun. Yeah. It's not as though he's a rich guy that is like being greedy. <laughs> like, yeah. You should have come and saved me anyway. Cody tells the cops, Ed and Cooley, that the job is just done because out in the crowd, Greer on his bike is watching from the crowd. Mm. The cops go out to just talk to him. I actually love this. The cops just yeah. go out to talk to him and we don't hear what they're saying at first. Yeah. But then what we hear when we cut into the conversation is that Raven wants to talk to them and we just smash cut to Raven telling them that he wants to nail the son of a bitch head to the sidewalk underneath the marquee that says L&M on it. I want to nail that son of a bitch's head to the sidewalk under that marquee that says L&M on it. And just to prove to you, I'm going to be a nice guy. I'm coming in with just two of my men. After I take care of Cody, 
There'll be no more trouble. This is such a fucking Western and if man. They stay out of the way, there won't be any more trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the bad guy coming into town and telling the sheriff, yep. stay out of my way. Let yep. me do my business. Yeah, you let me do this, there'll be no more trouble for your people. Yeah, and at Reaver's diner, McCoy wants a drink and a fight, but Cody isn't up for it. They yell at each other for, I have no fucking idea why. Mm. And Cody tells Reaver the revelation that uh, Cody's a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're all emotionally stunted and can't say nice yeah. things to each other? Oh, fuck. Uh, Reaver and Cody argue. Reaver tells him that, he, that he, if he's going to fight, he has to fight for something. She didn't send him to get Ellen because she's a great performer. Yeah. Or because it's your friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ed comes in and tells Cody about Raven's ultimatum and orders him to leave town or he'll arrest him and throw him in the cell next to Raven's. Yeah, the sheriff uh, ultimatum. Yeah, so leave town so that you don't cause trouble. Cody goes to Fish's hotel room. Fish pays him off and offers Cody more work. Why? They, he doesn't like him. Why does he <laughs> offer him more work? Cody delivers his big monologue to Alan, which I will now state verbatim and we will cut in. You know, nobody ever had a hold on me the way you did. I would have done anything for you. A long time ago, I would have thought you were worth it. Not anymore, babe. His line reading is so flat. Yeah. I fully forgot this interaction. Yeah. (laughs) He keeps the grant that he owes McCoy and throws the rest of the money at Fish. Of course. The currency is, it's not American money. It's like made up fake money. Mad. With, With like very weird, not like an almost not human writing on it. That's awesome. That's such a great little detail. Ellen chases him out into the rain. Of course. She yells at him about what was she supposed to do? And then he just grabs her and kisses her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? I mean. Yeah, the character the image, it's just it's all. Got, the thing is, it looks amazing. It's yeah. gorgeous. That set with the way it's lit, where it's kind of like uh, sun showery, but it's rainy. And she looks gorgeous in a dress and whatever. Yeah. And he's like in his duster jacket and perfect. Yeah. And whatever. We kind That's of great. haven't mentioned Looking. too much about how things look, but everything has looked fucking phenomenal. So they yeah. were right about the movie looking Yeah, great. yeah. That's, that's the thing is it's yeah. style, the style and the visuals are like Yeah, it just didn't carry movie. it. Afterwards in bed. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a pretty uh, hard cut. She wants him to leave town and she'll go with him. She'll just give up everything. You gotta go away. You've fought enough fights. You can let this one go. With both of us gone right now. What do you mean both of us? Us. I want to go with you. We could be together. You'd really come along with me? In two seconds, I would. And then at the Blackhawk, Cody pays McCoy what he owes her. He also tells her she did a real good job, and maybe maybe he rode her a little hard. <laughs> she tells him not to get sentimental. <laughs> the fuck is this movie? Well, no. They talk about love. Cody's crazy about Ellen, but he knows that they're going in different directions. McCoy doesn't see Cody as Ellen's backup singer. <laughs> yeah. He asks for help tonight with something he doesn't want to do. On the tra- yeah, we're getting to it. We're getting to a moment <sighs> that we would need to have a discussion about. Yeah. On the train, Ellen and Cody with McCoy, they're leaving town. The train stops at a station. He gets up to get Ellen up to get off, and she's confused because this isn't the Bayside. He tells her he has something to do, and then he punches her in the face to knock her out. Yeah. <laughs> Is that I fucking was making a note at this point. I did not see. I thought she cold cocked her from behind. I was like, no, he punches her in the face. Oh my fucking god! It's that changes. Me. Oh my god! I'm like, what the fuck is that choice? <laughs> Like oh have McCoy God. have McCoy like drag hold onto her yeah. and drag her away while yeah. she fights back. Yeah, but have he a long look out the window as the train goes. He punches the love of his life in the face to knock Fuck, her out. I can't believe I missed that. 
Choice that is that is a fucking that, weird and that's choice. even a weird choice for 1984, right? Like that's not yeah. like a modernly about weird choice. That's just a weird choice. It's just a weird. Yeah, it's just a. That weird That would have choice. been a weird choice for cowboy movies back in the day. Yeah, you would think. Yeah, like even in the era of film where like men slapped women, like they didn't, in film, they didn't like, like punch they, them. They didn't like it's knock a right hook. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Such a straight, it's such choice. a bizarre choice. It shocks me every time. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, fuck! I can't believe I missed it. This movie's so funny. Oh, it's so bizarre. So funny. <laughs> so unintentionally funny. Yeah, that's it, man. It fucking is a kind of like secret perfect film. No, secretly flawed perfect film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've been hard on this movie, but that's because it's my job to be, well, not necessarily my job to be hard, but my job to be honest about them. About yeah, the movie, for sure. Right? But it's still so wildly entertaining. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like um, that Japanese thing, wabi-sabi, like the, f- the flaws of this movie make it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, God. Okay, moving on. The plan is for McCoy to take her somewhere safe. Cody I don't know wa- why they couldn't just oh tell her God. that. Cody, <laughs> Cody walks up to the train, another train, to go back to Richmond, and the conductor <laughs> is like, well, no, the bombers have gone crazy and sealed off Richmond. He tough guys the, tra- the train conductor. He, like, tries yeah. to strong up. Like, what? Another woman, by the way. He doesn't yeah. know how to talk to anybody. And we and see that there's a fire, and this is the direct lift from the this Warriors. This is, like, this, an actual, this actual scene. scene happens yeah. in the Warriors. <laughs> I mean, like, take more scenes from the Warriors. Make Warriors 2 instead of this. Like, I know, right? <laughs> Warriors 2 with some singing? Yeah. Warriors 2, electric boogaloo. <laughs> yeah. The bombers roll down the street and Ed, the cop, has told everybody to stay indoors, but he runs oh, into- Such a Western thing. Yeah, he runs into Clyde, who wants to see Raven run in from up close. Yeah. Defoe on the bike in this scene is iconic as fuck. This is one of, that is one of the images that maybe that I saw as a gif that made me want to watch this movie. Cause I was like, what the fuck is like William Defoe doing wearing yeah. leather looking like Marlon Brando. Ed talks to Raven, Cody and the girl are gone. So it's over. You don't need to do anything. Mm. And then the fucking air horn. I love that. <laughs> he pulls out an air horn. That's like all black. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest of the bombers arrive and there is, like dozens of them. Yeah. And Clyde like runs away. It's great. I love the, I love the end of this movie. The yeah, last act is, really, is good. really good fun. The, yeah. There's a bit coming up that I was like, mm, odd choice, but fish confronts them and Greer just knocks him the fuck out, which is what I wanted to do for the whole movie. Yeah, so I was like, you. go Greer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, Cody rolls up in the car. Of course. Sorry. I'm late. <laughs> It was a fucking strong entrance, though, to rock up late. Yeah. And then well, to take off your jacket and you've got that, like, olden-timey shirt yeah. that, like, you know, you'd well, see men in a bar being pugilist <laughs> back in the yeah. day. Well, it's high noon and Raven has yeah. spe- something special in mind. <laughs> oh, dear. I was like, of course, it's a jewel. Yeah. It's fucking... Um, I love Ed, the cop, is like, well, my plan went to shit. Let's see what you can do. Can you yeah. <laughs> love that. Well, my plan went to shit. Let's see how you do. Kick his ass. Clyde brings out a mob 
the the town mob with their yeah. with their guns, which is another Western trope. The town yeah. rally, yeah. And then Greer breaks out fucking sledgehammers because it's a sledgehammer boss fight. When I first saw that, I was like, "Fuck yeah, this is gonna be sick!" Like that's a great idea for a duel. Kind of turned out to, to be like the knife fight in Bad. You know what I mean? Or is it Beat It? Which Michael Jackson one is it where they're like tied together and they've got oh, like the pocket rem- knives? I don't remember. It's just like kind of awkward dance. It is a little bit too much shot, at, shot in close up. Yeah. There are good parts of it. There are some impacts I mean, that awesome. I was like, if that was a real sledgehammer, that would have fucking I mean, it's, fucked someone it's up. It's awesome that they have a sledgehammer fight. Yeah, yeah, right. So I do, and I do like the fact that they drop the sound of the crowd out, so it's just the sound of the clashing sledgehammers and them grunting, with the occasional word of encouragement from Greer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Cody disarms Raven and is about to hit him with a hammer, but he drops it. Mm. The crowd noise comes back and they fist fight, knocking over bikes. Cody gets the advantage. He bloodies Raven and then just pushes him over. <laughs> yeah. Did anyone think there was going to be the, oh, he gets up with the sledgehammer? The classic. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no, but they don't even do that. They yeah. don't even do that. The rest of the bombers stare at Cody, but the uh, good people of the town of Richmond all cock their guns at the same time. That was <laughs> fucking dope. i got to say, that was fucking dope. They and, practiced. And yeah. They, they had rehearsals. And Greer, the, the new boss, tells them to get out of there. And they take Raven with them. Is he not arrested? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Like, is he's he just going to come back? He's just Bowser. He's just going to come back and get the princess next week. But is it is it the kind of thing where like, oh, the town has rallied, so now the town will come and like protect themselves against us again? Yeah, maybe. I yeah. don't know. We see the Sorrells open for Ellen Aim. They're fucking Yay. good, man. Yeah, I can dream, dream about. I dream the, about you. The fucking moonwalk when they like pick up the mic stand and yep. moonwalk with the mic stand. That was dope. The the crowd goes wild. Fish thinks he's going to be rich. <laughs> Side of stage. Long Co- live rock and roll. Yeah, Cody and Fish chat. Fish isn't going to stand in his way with Ellen. <laughs> yeah. Like what? Really? I mean, like, <laughs> the I don't think Fish was ever in love with. No. No, she's a product yeah. for him to sell. But, like, the gunslinger's got to ride off into the sunset. Yeah. yeah. Cody tells Fish, There's one thing we both know, Fish. She needs you a lot more than she needs me. And she needs me, but she loves you. She'll get over it. She's used to me being unreliable. Is that what I'm supposed to tell her? You're okay with words. You'll make her feel better than I could. Yeah. <laughs> Like, this guy is essentially... He walks off with Fish saying thanks to him. Did they just trade for Ellen? (laughs) A little bit. She's so treated like an object in this movie. Yeah, for sure. But, like, legitimately, he rescued her from a horrible fate and then left her with a, like... A scumbag. A scumbag manager who's going to, like, take her for what she's worth. Yeah. Yeah. There's no good outcome in this movie. No. For the Sorrells, there is. Yeah, (laughs) Sorrells, the only ones. Yeah. They finally got a good gig. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cody finds Ellen and she already knows that he was just going to cut out. He tells her that she's destined for better things, but if she ever needs him, he'll be there. Yeah, of course. All right. They kiss and- It's the closest to like being nice to someone that he- It's the only time he has a tone that is not aggressive. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Fuck. The whole movie. Yeah, that is strange. He has some anger issues to work out. Yeah. He's- he's, um, He's been hurt or traumatized yep. in the army. He, he walks <laughs> off. The Sorrells finish up and Ellen comes on stage. Tonight is what it means to be young. Tonight is what it means to be young. Tonight is what it means to be young. 
as she performs, we get final shots of Cody watching her and then him essentially walking off into yeah. the into the sunset. I fucking love this song. Yeah, it I was just, a good way to it end gives it me out. it legitimately gives me chills. Really? Yeah. This didn't like, have that for me, but it was good. Yeah, I think I just um I also listen to it all the time. Yeah. You know fair. what I mean? So I have one more insane story to tell before yeah, we please. get to the last scene of this movie. It's about this song. Okay. You may have noticed the title of this movie. It's called Streets, Streets of, of Fire. Fire. Sounds like a pretty generic title, right? Yeah. Streets of Fire is the name of a Bruce Springsteen song from his album, Darkness on the Edge of Town. The movie was written with the idea that that song, Streets of Fire, would be the song at the end of the movie. Okay. Oh. That was the plan all the way through the movie. With Ellen singing it? With Ellen singing it. They shot the end of the movie with Ellen performing that song. So she's not even performing the right song? Oh, no way. They had never gotten permission from Bruce Springsteen to use that song in this movie. Yeah, that seems like an oversight. And he never gave it. What? This song, Tonight is What It Means to Be Young, was written in two weeks and they had to reshoot the entire end of the movie. Oh, my God. Wow. They made the assumption that they would always get the song. Yeah. That they would get the rights to be able to use the song. They shot the ending in the movie with that song Uh, and then had to go back in post-production and reshoot the whole end of the movie. From the very beginning, you have no excuse not to ask the question. It's the title of the movie. I thought you were about to say that they edited the final performance of the other song to look like it was this song. No. That would have been fucking impressive. They went back and reshot the whole thing. <laughs> Fuck, that sucks. By the way, and just because it's interesting to me, the inside of this theatre is the Wilton Theatre in Koreatown in LA, which opened in like 1931. It's a beautiful Art Deco building. It's still standing, but it had been, uh, it was threatened to be demolished like so many times in its history, but tons of movies have used it in Purple Rain. The Prince movie. Okay. And it's also in John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Ah. Outside. Do we ever find out what, did we ever find out why Bruce Springsteen wouldn't let them use the song? I just think that this is not Bruce Springsteen's kind of movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. That song is also a kind of a downer song. Yeah. It's not the uplifting anthem that is. Th- so maybe they lucked out having to write a song in two weeks. I actually think this song is like better <laughs> yeah. than, than that song for this movie. Hmm. Outside, McCoy plays finders keepers with the car she just found it on the street and uh maybe she needs some company she doesn't mind if he tags along maybe this is his big chance (laughs) she already told him he isn't her type and they drive off and that is streets of fire i like that they stay friends yeah it's the casablanca ending i mean they need friends yeah this is the start of a beautiful friendship ending yeah yeah. I, I, I did like that ending. Tom Cody will return in nothing. <laughs> because, yes, they did not end up making a trilogy of movies. Tom Cody did return mm-hmm. <laughs> in Road to Hell in 2008, an unofficial sequel starring Michael Pere back as Tom Cody and Deborah Van Valkenburg as Reva. No. It is directed by Albert Pinn. Oh, Pyun. I never, can never remember how to pronounce his name. He's a low-budget king who only just recently passed away. And we will definitely watch some of his movies and talk about him at some point. He's connected to Charles Band. Yeah, mad. I have to show you the trailer for Road to Hell. Yeah, mad. I simply must. 
Killing is what he does. Oh my god. Police are looking for two suspects believed to be females, approximately 20 to 30 years old, traveling south. Both are considered armed and extremely dangerous. Hello, Cody. Where do you think Cody is right now? Cody's alone, out there, waiting. Waiting for what? Helen. I need to see her. No. She's a big fucking rock star, Cody. This entire film shot on green screen. We all have our dark side. I've killed. What the fuck? Chick's got a lot of skills. <laughs> oh my. I want to watch this so bad. I do not. No, I've needed you my whole life, asshole. Is that killing Ellen enough? Everyone's like 30 years younger than him. <laughs> this movie look if you ever need something i'll be there that is like it's got to be like fucking grindhouse like schlocky like intentionally bad right yeah and no because that was everything was was on green screen the whole movie (laughs) and not like believable green screen not even trying to be believable green screen just like weird music video shit yeah what what do you, how do you say his name, last name Perry 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 Perry, Perry yeah. like you can tell he's like I'm so keen to be back and doing this but like poor Deborah poor Deborah <laughs> coming back for this film like <laughs> fuck I had to show I had to share that with that you. was that was the so worst yeah, a, thing that a, was really bad it's a bootleg sequel an appropriate age to have seen Streets of Fire oh fucking that's hard that is really hard. You could watch this film at like five years old. There is like, there is like a tiny bit of like nipple. There is some like racism. There is like, there's not gory there's violence. It's racism just kind of and and um sexism, sexism. Yeah, and but I think if you're younger, that goes over your head. It's not aimed at five-year-olds. And what five-year-old wants to watch this movie? You're right. You're right. That is a bit of hyperbole. It's not flashy and fun. You're right. I I think... flashy. Not in a five-year-old way. I mean, the music might do it. I think me as a 10-year-old could sit down and and enjoy this movie without thinking about any of that. Yeah. I don't know. I think 10 is still probably not the best age. I, I tend to go with, like, when do I think someone would actually enjoy the film genuinely, not just could sit through it without being emotionally scarred for life. Yeah. So I'll go with, again, like a 15, but like, I don't know, really. I think a 15 or 16, someone who's like a bit of a film buff but also loves their bad films would really enjoy this. 
Yeah, because the plot is so bad. Well, lack thereof. A lack yeah. thereof. It yeah. is literally a, a You need to be able to, yeah, yeah. you've got to find something that you'll, yeah, I don't know, 15? Mm-hmm. Well, I, as I said, I was an adult. You were an adult. Yeah, yeah. I was an adult when I saw this. I think I've ever, if I had discovered this when I was a teenager, I would have loved how bad it was. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Would you watch this movie again if you're in free will? It's such an easy watch. Yeah, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't turn it off. Yeah, I wouldn't think to put it on. Yeah. Yeah, but I wouldn't turn it off and it's really easy I'll listen to the soundtrack again, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure you will. (laughs) Many, many hundreds of times. A rating for Streets of Fire, the way that we rate movies, is on a five-star scale with one being I hated this movie, two being I did not like this movie, two and a half being I liked parts of this movie, it was fine, three being I liked this movie, four being I loved this movie, and five being this is one of my favourite movies of all time. I think this is a... Perfect Western, as I've said throughout this pod. I think there is nothing more or less that makes this a good movie. Um, I did like bits of it, but again, it was just such an easy watch. And like I did kind of swoon over Pere and um, uh, Willem. So I think, oh, I'm so torn between 2.5 and 3. Look, I'm going to say 2.5 because I didn't like the whole movie and there are such obvious flaws to it, Mm -hmm. but it is a good time. Yeah. I was going to give it a three until you described it that way. Mm. Hmm. You don't know the Jeopardy music, do you? I was trying to do it, but I can't. And it just didn't come out. I think I'm going to go three. I think I just, no, I'm going to go 2.5. It deserves a three. 2.5. 2.5. If there was a 2.75, that yeah. would be more accurate, but Same. that's not a thing. It's fine, but yeah, I didn't like the whole thing. My ratings are really complicated. Yeah. It's just because you love the music. It's just hard, right? This should be a five star movie for me. Really? The elements of this movie should make it a five star movie. Yeah. Like the design, the fact yeah, that they shot true. on this elaborate set, which is all my shit, the lighting, the neon, that does the music, true. the motorcycles, yeah. the motorcycle guy, like it, all of the things that are in this movie. It's got Diane Lane in it, who mm. I've swoon over. It's got Willem Dafoe in it, just yeah. chewing scenery. It's got, it's got Ving Lee from the band Fear in yeah. it. Like it, all of the elements should mean that this is a five star movie for me. Yeah. But the script is garbage. Yeah. <laughs> the script is, and I can laugh at it. I enjoy how bad the script is, how bad the dial, the dialogue is. But it drags it down. And Pere and also Rick Moranis. I think Rick Moranis damages the shit out of this movie. Moranis is great. Like, he's, ama- yeah. he's amazing, right? But he is so miscast. Yeah. He is so the wrong person to be in that For role. Sure. Or he's not, the role is miswritten mm. because he shouldn't be a tough guy. Yeah. He should be a slime ball that's always wheeling and dealing. Yeah. But he shouldn't be a fucking tough guy. Yeah. No. Yeah. So it drags it all the way but down. See, if he was a slime ball, he would have to have an arc so that it was okay <laughs> to leave her with uh, him. Anyway. And, but then the music drags it back up. Yeah. And so when I was thinking about a rating, I was thinking, like three and a half, yeah. right? Because I like I almost love this movie, and then I looked at what my previous rating for this movie was, and it was four and a half on Letterbox. Last time I watched this movie, I gave it a four and a half on Letterbox. That's wow. And so, so now you're wondering whether you love this movie? It's a four and a half. Yeah. Wow. It's a four and a half. What it is is that the gap between I don't mm. have things I like in this movie. I have things I don't like, and I have things I love. 
Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I feel right? the same, actually. And so it drags yeah. my rating up to yeah. a four and a half because this should be one of my favourite movies of all time. It absolutely positively should be. But it can't be. But I still love a lot of it. Yeah. So it should be like, so it's either a four or a 4.5. And I just feel like 4.5 because I wish I loved this movie. The funny thing is. 4.5. Yeah. The funny thing is. Which is probably a higher rating than you guys would have expected considering how yeah. I talked about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's just, uh, it's comp my relationship with this movie is very complicated. The funny thing is, is I came in today thinking I was going to give it like a 3.5 to a four because I really enjoyed the watch. I think it's a really hard movie to rate. Next week. Next week. My pick. <laughs> so what's interesting is, is that Brody's not going to be here next week. No. I'm being replaced by our good friend Adam. Yes. So spoilers, spoilers. You'll, you'll hear <laughs> oh, is it a spoiler? Not really. Oh, okay. Really. Yeah, you'll, you'll just hear a different voice. Adam's you'll, dope. You love a, him. You'll hear a new voice. So the way that we pick movies is that Kira and Brody alternate taking turns, picking from three choices that I prepared. This week is, in fact, Kira's pick. So Brody really plays no part in this. Although... It does mean that next week he won't get a pick. Yep. Yeah. I'm quite interested to see Adam's pick. Yeah. If a movie remains unpicked three times, it is struck off the list and I can bring it back a later date of my choosing if I so wish. Still on the list is only one movie because of the way that we chose mm -hmm. last week. And that movie is Kevin Bacon in Tremors with one strike. Tremors. Oof. Perfection. A scorched outpost in the middle of nowhere. You know how close I am to leaving this place right now? How close? Maybe that's why Val and Earl decided to leave town. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! Hey, hold up. That's Edgar Deans. They just picked the wrong day to do it. Jeez. up to Val and Earl to save the world. That's one big mother. Who died and made you Einstein? And they know just what to do. Flip for it. Damn. Kevin Bacon. Fred Ward. Tremors. I think that really should be... Oh, no. If I pick it, you don't get to watch yeah, it. No, don't pick it. So this is what I'm. This is what I'm saying is like you could be into these movies, but there's a chance that you won't get to Whatever see any of them. Whatever I pick, you don't get to see. But, but but remember, this is the one that I keep getting so, mixed up with holes, and I really need to see with so, you guys. Remember, so, Brody. So you don't want me to pick it. Brody, <laughs> I want Adam to pick it next week. Mind games him. Brody's role today. He's not going to have heard this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Brody's role today is to make a case for the movie he doesn't want you to pick. Yep. Yes. <laughs> so weird. Okay. And then I've said this before and I'll say it again. I like to offer paths. <laughs> so 
Tremors is one path. Mm-hmm. And I offer two very different paths. Oh, I'm already sad that I'm missing out next week. Well, you all make your choices. <laughs> I'm just figuring out which one to, t- to, to tell you first. Um, is yeah, it weird that I'm salivating? Yeah. <laughs> but you don't get to eat the movies. There is one icon of this era of VHS that we have not yet encountered. There's more, there's more than one, but there's one person that when you think about VHS movies from the 1980s is somebody that we probably should get to, right? Male or female? Male. Have we ever mentioned them? We have. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Have we seen him? No, we haven't seen Jean-Claude. We haven't seen quite, there's quite a lot of larger martial arts stars. I'm speaking specifically of the VHS market. Oh, maybe we wouldn't think of them. I think that you should show us the tape. Okay, sure. So I present to you. Oh my God. Don't do it to me again. Chuck Norris. No! <laughs> no, I, I can't have this. I can't have this happen. The Delta Force 2. No, this is not okay. The Colombian Connection. The flow of cocaine coming into the United States is becoming a war. The cocaine cartel. Gentlemen, Ramon Cota, the world's wealthiest drug dealer. Their wealth is beyond belief. Their power is beyond control. Their leaders are beyond the law. I have my own way of dealing with traitors. But they haven't counted on the Delta Force. Let me go in 48 hours ago. I'll get them out. Chuck Norris cracks the Colombian connection. Delta Force 2. Now the drug war is about to become a shooting war. At old 7.30 hours, I hit Ramon's munitions warehouse. Now you gotta be out of there by that time. They strike fast. Red alert! Hit hard. And take no prisoners. Chuck Norris leads the Delta Force against the Colombian Connection. Delta Force 2. This oh, is not he's okay. so going to have picked this three is, movies that you would want to watch. This is like the one that I actually remember. So oh, wow. you may be asking yourselves, Delta Force 2, we have not seen Delta Force no. 1. Well, yeah, we haven't because I really don't like Delta Force 1. Yeah, 2's the one two's to the watch. 2's the good one. 2's yeah. the one to watch. Wow. Just so you know, Kira, I, I <laughs> got very addicted to Chuck Norris. Because so you'd of, like me to pick this one then? No. <laughs> I would like you to make Adam pick that next week. But you want him to pick Tremors next week. I don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love Chuck Norris and Chuck Norris pod. Just Can I just ask if this is okay? Can we like all bring Chuck Norris jokes to like the Chuck no, Norris pod? because I fucking hate that shit. No, they're so good. No. No. See, I grew no. up, see, I have the contrary position in that I grew up with Chuck Norris being like a martial artist. But and he a guy is. That He's appeared, legitimate and, and a guy that appeared, guy appeared in movies and then he became a meme. And it's like. But the meme's great. Yeah. 
<laughs> the meme is certainly better than he is as a person. He's not a good person in real life. It's a crazy, crazy right wing nut job. Oh, uh, yeah, saw that coming. Of course he, of course he saw is. that coming. We have a third path. It's going to be another one that Brody really wants, isn't it? Oh, fuck. You're going to have completely uh, fucked him over. No. We'll no. See. We'll see. Pick that one. Paths. 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 Yeah, we did. <laughs> we did a teen movie. Yes. We did Fast Times at Richmond High. It's a nice time. Right? And. I've already talked about how the fact that we're probably, I mean, eventually we might do some John Hughes movies, but I'm not the biggest John Hughes fan. I like my teen movies mm. to have a little bit more substance to them. It's going to be difficult for me to not pick this. Yeah. So I have picked a very young Keanu Reeves. Oh, Keanu, what are you doing to me? And Crispin Glover from the Back to the Future movies. What? In River's Edge. that. Right, Ellie? Look at that. Hope they don't upset Duck down. <laughs> Jamie is dead, and there's nothing that we can do to save her. Now I happen to like Jamie, but John is still alive. And who's next on his list? You try it. You better settle down, John. But I kept seeing her face, Clarissa. Can you keep seeing her face? I'm dead now. You're gonna fry me for sure. I'll be your friend. This is a movie that I've been trying to get Kira to watch. Oh, my God. For our entire relationship. Also, Dennis Hopper is in this it's movie. It's an R-rated film, is too. that young boy who I think it is on the back? I don't know. Let me have a look. So when you say very young Keanu Reeves. Like, this is one of his very first roles. But, like, an adult. Teen. He's, he's like, barely an adult. But he's not a child like this no, he's child. Not a chi- no, he's not a small child. He's playing a teenager. It's an R movie? I'd yeah. like I love when we do our movies. The problem is, is that you're not going to let him read the back and the front doesn't tell you anything about the storyline. Mm-hmm. Well, there's obviously the discovery of a dead girl. That's what is I Is it kind glean. of like Brick? Oh, <laughs> <gasps> uh, no. Okay, that's <laughs> yes. And hard no. From Video Easy Karatha. <laughs> Don't make me put the Australian content warning in. <laughs> Delta Force is going to be a fucking hilarious time. So I shotgun that one. <laughs> you can't shotgun shit. <laughs> Dibs then. <laughs> You've got three brilliant choices. 
I know. Paths, paths. Yeah. I think Kira's going to do something gay for one. I love it. Is it? Um, oh, oh, I think so Kira's going to do the look she just gave me. She's going to do something gay for one. I love it so much. Don't do it. Okay, so. Just do tremors. Just do tremors. It's okay. I'm I'm happy to not have here's, tremors. Tough guy up. Here's my thought process. I get another shot at River's Edge. Just remember that though, leaves me with if tremors. you want another shot at that, then I I might be mean to you if you're mean to me. What do you mean? I get another shot at that. You oh, don't get you a say. Do. Fuck, damn it. Because this is the first time we've seen <laughs> this by, film. By abdicating your role on the podcast, you actually skip a pick. Yeah, I Meaning that Kira gets two picks before you get another pick. I could pick Tremors. You could. You could. Which we've talked about many times on the pod. You could. It gets another option. It's so, got one strike. Yep. Yeah. So Adam could pick it next week. And they're the only two options that we and have. And then the other option you see <laughs> is a film that I would never normally pick for the pod. <laughs> because it's not really my thing. I'm not a Chuck Norris fan and to it's be honest, just like an action film. That that would be a real good time and real fun to bring Adam into. That would be an easy thing to bring Adam it into. It is. It would be an easy thing to bring Adam to. It is a canon film. Yeah. And it's a canon film. I would not want to miss it, but I also understand. And many, many weeks ago, I really, really, really wanted to watch a film that Brody didn't pick. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like I can't beat that dead horse for the entirety of season two, but I can do it one last time. I understand. It's okay. It's okay. To finally end the feud of the Roller Boys. (laughs) Because it has been such a feud. (laughs) Next week, without Brody, we will be watching Delta Force 2. A Chuck Norris film. As much as that is a knife to my heart, (laughs) you will have such a good time and I'm so happy for you to get to watch that film. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it. Fuck off. (laughs) We'll see you in two weeks. Guys, I'm not leaving. We haven't finished yet. Pretty close. No, I mean, that's not the podcast. I like to subscribe uh, at Weird Kid Video on Instagram, Twitter, and we also do have a letterboxed if you yes. want to check us out on there. And also do all the things that Keen says not to. No, don't listen to me. I mean, and do, do all the things he me. says to do. And leave us a oh oh no, uh, never mind. Leave us a review because Adam will have to tell us. Yeah, one I was going to say that, but no, we'll just but stack one up for you. Okay, done. No, no, no. If, if you give us a review, <laughs> it'll still be Brody. Okay. Yeah, it'll just be delayed. But you should definitely do that. Leave us a review so that Brody has to tell us a story because it's a good time. Mm. It can be a bad review. We don't yeah. mind. Yeah, Even if it's fun. just telling us that we should get rid of me again, I'm okay with that. I have thick skin, and who knows? Enough of them, they might get rid of me. Wait, if you like Adam better, let us know. Yeah, let us know. Adam may take my job. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I'll just, I'll be his replacement. It's okay. Do let us know what you think of Adam next week because he may be taking my job while I'm, you know, busy. Don't be mean to Adam. No one be mean to Adam. No, everyone be mean to Adam. We can be mean to Adam. He's replacing you this week. We can't be mean to Adam when he's replacing me. Oh, yeah, you guys can be mean to Adam. He's going to be the Brody. Yeah, that's all right. You guys can be mean to Adam. (laughs) Oh, my God. He's our Adam. Can can I go home now? (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck is wrong with you people? And? (laughs) Scene.